and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. With me today is Johnny from Canada. What's going on, Johnny? Oh, not too much. How is everybody tonight? It smells uh, minty fresh in here. Yeah, that's the uh, cough drops easing oh, out of my flesh. Oh, it's magnificent. I love it. Yeah, I've been experiencing a cold over the last uh, two weeks now, so cough drops it is. Halls, mentholectus, sugar-free. It's definitely <laughs> not, way to go. Not Fisherman's Friends? No, no, no. Hey, so uh, what have you been up to this week? I have been stuck in front of the computer, which I like anyway, but uh, just editing my face off. I've got 26 videos that I'm editing simultaneously. Simultaneously. Ooh. So, yeah, a little bit masochistic of me, but here we go. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, editing's like, that's probably my least favorite thing to do besides oh, really? audio cleanup. Yeah, I yeah. don't, I mean... If it's an easy project and you have a shot list and everything's fine, that's great. But a lot of times you yeah, end up with like three, maybe four cards full of who knows what. <laughs> and then there's yeah. somebody got a hold of a camera for a while and they were just filming the floor and they were filming the ceiling and they weren't no really slates. Doing... Yep, exactly. You don't know where anything <laughs> goes. So yeah. then you're working off the script and you're digging through and you're slugging through a bunch of footage trying to find something. Yeah, And then you find out that somebody didn't turn the mic on for one shot or somebody didn't turn this on. And then you're going yeah. through and like fixing all the audio and doing all the voiceovers. Yeah. Well, in this in this case, I shot it all as well. So if anything like that happened, it was my fault. But nothing happened. I was good. It was in the studio. So I was oh. happy about that. <laughs> studio work makes things easier. You bet. Total control. All right. Moving on. Time for the news. First up on the news list today, I'm still catching up with some of the CES releases. First thing up is the Sony release of a new 4K camcorder. This is pronounced very easily the FDR-AX333 4K Handycam, and it's sporting a balanced optical stabilization system. Uh, apparently, this will give you in-camera stabilization that's better than any of the previous cameras in their Handycam lineup. It's sporting an XAVC Kodak, has a 20.6 megapixel sensor, and it's priced in at $1,000. Now, this is using the Exmer system, but... Uh, it's not a one-inch sensor like previous models. This is a half-inch sensor. What do you think about this camcorder, Johnny? I don't know. Am I, am I missing something, DJ? Like, what's with all the uh, the camcorders lately? Is there some new demand for for camcorders that I wasn't aware of? Panasonic last week, Sony this week. I mean, 4K is cool. Stabilization's cool. Thousand bucks. Uh, I just feel like you could you could use your uh, money somewhere else. But anyway, uh, you know, I'd play with it for five or ten minutes for sure. Well, it feels like uh, maybe they're pushing out a lot of these uh, point-and-shoot 4K video cameras for yeah. people who are buying 4K televisions. Mm. Um, what better way to create memories with your family than to go out and grab a 4K camera and start filming birthday parties, vermitzbas, and, and whatever else you've got going on. <laughs> now, at this price, um, this does have a half-inch sensor versus the AX100, which has a one-inch sensor. The one-inch sensor was notorious for its Jell-O cam. I'm not sure that Sony's going to get any better out of this half-inch sensor. And we're talking price here. I'm looking at a list, and it looks like the Panasonic FZ1000, which is a, also a 4K slash point-and-shoot camera with the super zoom, is right at that, well, actually cheaper than that. I think it's like six yeah. or $700. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I don't know about all these camcorders. It's kind of weird that 
they've been moving that direction. Also, Sony has the competing RX-10. That's a mm. really compelling camera with yeah. the option to have their XLR adapter, and then you can plug directly into it, and you can record audio directly into the camera. That one's got a fixed aperture. This one's a F1.8 to F3.4. It is about $700 cheaper than the Jellocam AX100, so maybe that's a good deal. It, yeah, it could be. I just, I don't know. I'd be still more more apt to uh, to whip out my, my cell phone like I, I think 90% of people would be. I mean, yeah, the 4K TV thing, that's a good argument. That's that's cool, I guess. I just, I don't know if people are, are that ambitious about the 4K to, to you know, whip out a, a, a thousand bucks on a, on a new uh, Sony camcorder. This kind of also seems to be that Sony's slapping on image stabilization to every next level camera to make it a selling point. Yeah. The A7 Mark II is popular enough with its image stabilization built in that now they're throwing it into their handy cams. And there's even rumors of a possible uh, APS-C camera with a five axis image stabilization system built into the sensor as well. So, yeah, that would be cool. I, I would uh, I would give that a good hard look in APS-C with the image stabilization like that. The five axis that they keep talking about, that's really cool. I think uh, that's rumored to be coming out in Q3 of 2015. So keep an eye out for that. Sony actually slipped and posted some pictures on their uh, European website of information on that particular camera and then took it down right away. So that's been up <laughs> on the rumor sites. Probably likely to be coming out. I would say four to five months would be a reasonable guess. Uh, moving on down the line, we've got a camera brand that I haven't heard much from in a long time, yeah. JVC. When's the last <laughs> time you bought a JVC camera? Yeah, I, I did one probably about, uh, I, the last time I used it was actually on a feature film before the DSL, like before 2008. And uh, we used a JVC, we're talking like 2002 Wow. And, yeah, and, and it was awesome. It, it, it did a great job, but uh, this thing's more like the, the C100 here, eh? Uh, it looks like it. I'm looking at the, the specs here. It's better than the C100 as far as resolution goes. Yeah. This yeah. is a, a micro four-thirds sensor. It's a 13.5 megapixel, which is a little bit less than the 16 megapixel we see in the GH4. And the cool thing about this guy is that it has all of your inputs and everything, and it's not nearly as boxy as the old Panasonic AF100, which mm. was their first shot kind of at the whole camcorder slash uh, video camera interchangeable lens system thing. And this is sitting about the same price. Actually, it's a little bit cheaper. It's $4,500 for the base price for this. And uh, in case I didn't mention the the brand type and the name, it's a JVC GY LS 300 4K Handycam. Uh, this guy, it looks like a decent form factor. I'm looking at the picture right now. It does yeah. come with a boom mic, which is interesting. And it does have proper uh, SDI inputs and outputs, or excuse me, outputs only. So that gives you a decent way to connect to your monitor and stuff. Would $4,500 make this more attractive than the C100? Well, I mean, lo looking at it, you know, it reminds me a lot of the... Um of like the Sony NEX cameras or, or even the, the Panasonic, um, like you said, the, the Panasonic F100s with the, with the switches at the side and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but then the NEX, like the front part is the NEX with the, the interchangeable lenses. I don't know if that, that's actually pretty interesting to me. I just have to take a look and see 
because like and the built-in nd filters i was going to mention that too that is that's that's pretty huge as well so yeah and this records its own so you can record 4k internally as opposed to having to use an external recorder yeah it looks like a nice package you know and you're right the nd filters that's pretty good deal i bet when this um hits the street and kind of belly flops that uh once it goes on ebay for 2500 bucks or something in that nature it would probably be pretty decent buy i think well i just i would just want to see what it like the the uh the color science and just how it looks yeah get somebody to take like a pro to actually take some shots like they normally do put it up on youtube vimeo and i'd have to take a look at it but looking at it here looking at the specs that's pretty cool if yeah if the price was thousand dollars cheaper (laughs) i wonder if the uh shotgun mic on this is any good it has the like the kind of standard canon clamp on suspension shotgun mic with it but a lot of times especially like sony's offerings their shotgun mic that came with that klm dash whatever kit the adapter kit was pretty awful it was it was not not really worth getting and that's why you see those sold separately from the xlr adapter kit on ebay for like 80 bucks it's because they they weren't worth much. And well, I, this this one's included. It, it, it's included in the forty five hundred. Yeah, it is included in the forty five hundred. So that's maybe it's yeah. good. I don't know. You're right. I just want to see the footage from this. I kind of want to get my hands on it and play with it, but yeah. I don't really have a justification right now to buy a forty five hundred dollar Micro Four Thirds camera. Yeah, especially when you've got everything tied up in in DSLRs and and a Panasonic GH four. If you've already got everything, you've got this camera. If not better. <laughs> I think one thing that uh, might be a seller for this, it looks like it has one of those pull-out uh, eyepieces. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's, that's what, good. Yeah. I don't know. That's what reminds me so much of the, the old Panasonics at the at the back end there. It looks exactly the same. Yeah, that big rubber <laughs> cup to go over your eye. Yeah, and the, and the uh, LCD that pulls out at the side and everything. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah, I don't know. I'll keep yeah. an eye out on this guy. If it comes down in price, I might have to... Maybe a request of review model or something like that. All right, moving on down the line. We're actually flying through news pretty fast this week. Um, I've got the Sony A7 Mark II, and they've finally updated the firmware on this guy. Looks like now they are offering the update, which includes full operation of the image stabilization in video mode, as well as one press in focus magnification mode to get the image stabilization working. There are a lot of people complaining about the image stabilization in the first version of the firmware for this camera, but now that they've got the 1.1 firmware release, what do you think? Is this getting pretty sexy? Uh, yeah, well, I, I honestly, I, I thought it was even before the, the new uh, update here. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, I, I think that this is pretty cool. The only thing I ever complain about with Sony is I always feel like they, they're charging for the for the the letters in their name kind of thing, um, <laughs> but uh, that that's the only thing I ever, you know, I have qualms about with Sony. I just you know, I, why should I pay more just because it's a Sony? But um, but yeah, I, it'd be interesting to uh, I'd love to actually play with one of these and see what the what the difference is now with the firmware. Well, I was watching some of the demonstration videos as well as uh, some of the reviews that have gone up, and there's a few of them where they slap a old 30 or 300 millimeter lens on this guy and turn it on and off the image stabilization and in video mode it is pretty noticeable it doesn't eliminate everything but it's oh, really? solid enough that 
it really takes the shake out of it and makes it feel like the camera is more gliding around as opposed to, you know, wobbling. Uh, it, is the is the stabilization all? Internal? I mean, it's all yeah, it's all like software, right? So they're no, they're, no, it's not software. What oh. they do is um, they've got a five axis system attached to the sensor itself. So oh, okay, okay, it's yeah. it's roll and yaw, and then up, down, and left and right. So. If you're twisting in either direction or twisting forwards and backwards, as well as all your regular axes, that's where they get the five axes from. And that's all done on the sensor. I mean, they can only do so much moving with the sensor itself, but yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's all internal. So they're not doing any kind of post-processing. It's the same sort of system that you see on, I believe, Olympus has a five axis system. And they started out with a three-axis, which is just up, down, left, right, and front and back. But uh, they moved to the roll system, and I believe the uh, OM1. I want to say the OM1. I had some notes yeah, on it, but I I don't I don't know Olympus well enough. Oh yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, Olympus had a couple of of releases. It might be the E EMD one, but one of their newer cameras had the five-axis, and a lot of people really liked it. The only mm-hmm. issue they had was that there was some weird deal with the way that they put their focus sensors on the on the sensor itself so when they were focusing if you had a certain type of light reflection inside the lens it would actually end up highlighting the focus sensor in the image itself so you would get these weird ghostings of like (laughs) lines from where the uh, sensor was for focusing on the on the device so and i'm not sure how that ended up working out i think they issued some kind of uh, firmware update for that but i don't know if it completely corrected it i haven't really looked into them since but now you have five axis stabilization in here when are you going to need a gimbal yeah yeah well and and it makes sense uh to you know to to because they're always saying in in film and you know video world uh support the sensor right support the sensor if you you know support the sensor you make it heavier you with these smaller cameras get them on your shoulder support the sensor everything's about that to get that nice smooth handheld and stuff so um it makes sense what they're doing i'm surprised that they can get all that that tech into such a small form factor it's it's amazing to me i'm just looking at uh photos right now online here and on the review and it looks good it's a great uh definitely a great stills camera as well well, for the uh, tech itself, if you ever take apart a lens, I don't know, have you ever tried to tear down one of your own? Yeah, yeah, well, and sometimes not on purpose. Oh, well, <laughs> if you do it on purpose, if you look at the ribbon cables and the control boards and the, the power system for running the little tiny motors that run your focus system on your lenses themselves, they've gotten yeah. those down to where they're, they're basically wire-wrapped into the size of maybe like six pieces of paper set on top of each other. And then that's all on a silk film that's that's run with the like ribbon cable style connector to it. It doesn't take a lot, especially since the sensors are so light to move it around. So I think because the sensor is so small, it doesn't take any sort of substantial moving parts. Like with your stabilization you have on lenses, that's actually a gyroscope type system where it's spinning something up. That's why if you have it on on your uh, 70 to 200 IS, that will give you kind of like a weird little quiet rattling noise. And I, I haven't experienced it too much on the uh, 24 to 70 from uh, Tamron, but that's also one of those things that's been reported is that it gives like a little bit of a buzz noise if you have a mic attached. Hmm, I've never heard that before. Why, why is it that you can't, like I'm surprised that you don't get these into the more, the, like the, the C100s and like that JVC or the, the NEX style cameras, all that 
that EMG style camera, like an actual camera, why can't they put that into something like that? Is there something I don't know about there? Well, there's two issues with uh, this five axis stabilization system. First is because it's moving the sensor around a little bit at a time, it kind of softens the image sometimes. So that can be uh, one issue. The other issue is who owns the proprietary technology. Right now, Sony has a five-axis system and Olympus has a five-axis system. I don't think anybody else is sporting any of those inside their camera right now. Everybody else is doing lens stabilization. So because of that, you haven't seen anything on the Canon front uh, to the uh, camera internally. It's all been in the lens. And the same thing with Nikon, as well as I assume JVC doesn't have any patents on uh, uh, sensor stabilization. Otherwise, they would probably be using it. They may yeah. end up having to maybe buy another company or license out the rights if they want to move into this category. But I'm guessing huh. the people that are in it right now are probably leading the forefront of the pack and will continue to because of uh, patent rights and everything else. Um, that, yeah, I know. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. And um, what getting back to sorry, what you said about earlier, the, the gimbals. Oh, yes. Um, do you think that that'll be kind of like, uh, you know, the, like, will the stabilization be the same as if you're, you know, when you're stabilizing a camera and walking around um, as opposed to just just the sensor? It, will it will it look the same if you're if you're holding? You, you know what I mean? Like, it, like it's kind of the, the difference between, uh, you know, uh, a dolly uh, versus a, like a, a zoom. I don't know if that, if that makes any sense, but well. Um, with the you know? with the the handheld uh, type gimbal systems or even the uh, three axis systems, the three axis system, especially with the uh, motors like yeah. the uh, four thousand we were talking about the uh, Nimbus, I believe. Yeah. Um, that unit, since it's three axis, if you think about how you walk, that's one of the big issues that people run into right away because they see all this beautiful footage of it looking really stable and really smooth, but when you walk. It's only correcting for sideways motion, forwards and backwards motion, and up and down motion. Yeah. So if you, if you move in any other way, like lean forward or backwards while you're walking and you don't keep your hand completely stable, you'll still get that kind yeah. of motion shake in there. And there are some five-axis uh, stabilization systems that use like a backpack with a band that goes over your head. And, oh, yeah, I've and, seen that. Yeah, And other stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, and you can do that, and then you're, you're getting a little bit closer but five axis is still the best way to go for all that correction. If you're on a quadcopter, you're probably still going to want it because you'll have pan and tilt options as well as stabilization. And the quadcopter, because it has you know four blades spinning simultaneously, that part of the plane isn't going to be an issue. So you don't actually have to worry about it moving in that particular direction like a, a human body would. With this, you're still going to have to learn to walk with it. But I think it might be a little bit more forgiving with the way you walk than a regular three axis gimbal system in your hand. Yeah, that makes that. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, I, that's, that's pretty cool. I, hmm, I'm, I'm going to have to look into renting one of these for, for someone convince them that they have to have five axis image stabilization. <laughs> well, I think you can get these, uh, you can get the uh, a seven Mark two from borrower lenses for about uh, 200 bucks for four days. So, Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, that's not horrible. I think the street price on this guy is somewhere in the twenty three, twenty four hundred range. So that's that's not too too bad for a, a four day rental to mess around with it. Yeah, really. I I would do it. I would rent it. Yeah, I don't I don't know <laughs> that I'm going to invest in a uh, 
A7 Mark II anytime in the near future. Yeah, but I don't know if is, I'd buy one. <laughs> it is really cool to see that they're they're start, starting to actually stabilize the sensor themselves. And we just saw it here when we were talking about their uh, camcorder. Sony added it to that. Chances are, once it's been in their high-end lineup for a little while, they'll probably start pushing it into a lot of their lower-end and consumer products after a while. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be uh, cool to, to see uh, some of the other companies start to uh, uh, you know, ripping it off, and then it's every all of a sudden everybody's got it all the time in the uh, in the DSLR world, anyway. Yeah, and I I think they're a little bit protected by having it on the sensor since it's not something yeah. that you can buy externally and hook on. So I don't know if we'll be seeing anything like this from China anytime in the near future. <laughs> not this year. <laughs> all right, moving on down the line here, I've got Tran, uh, Transcend's 128 gig memory cards. They've got mm-hmm. uh, different flavors of. SDXC as well as CF cards. I've used a lot of Transcend CF cards. Looks like the 128 gig Class 3 UHS rated cards are down to $65. Have you had a good or bad experience with the Transcend cards? Oh, yeah. I've, I've got a bunch of, uh, I, and I got them uh, a couple years ago. I got a bunch of the, the Transcend just 16 gig cards because I like to keep my cards a little bit smaller. That way, if anything does go wrong, I only lose 16 gigs as opposed to 128 gigs. Um, I'm on older cameras, so that's a lot more to me. But, uh, but yeah, this is, this is great news for me because I, I love Transcend. I've never had any, any failures. I'll knock on some wood because I'm <laughs> super spit, totally superstitious that way. Um, but yeah, that's, that's fantastic news. I love hearing that the, the cheaper it gets, the better, the more attractive it is for me. Now while we're talking about cheaper here, I've actually swung for the computer Bay cards, which, you know, uh, computer Bay yeah, is a name yeah. you can trust. <laughs> um, their 128 gig cards are down to a price range of about $43. And I, you know, I'm kind of with you on the fact that I should be using smaller cards, and I have a bunch of 32 gig cards I use for my uh, 5D Mark III, but I've been sort of risky using two and three of these uh, Computer Bay 128 gig cards on my <laughs> GH4, and, and yeah. have yet to have any failures. So, knock I, on something quick. Yes, right now I am knocking. I <laughs> I'm not sure whether or not something's going to go wrong in the future. I have had to rescue some cards in the past, but. None of them were Transcend or Computer Bay. They were actually ADATA. Um, I had a horrible time with some earlier ADATA cards when I was on the uh, 7D. And, oh, really? Yeah, I don't know if I just got a bad batch or what. And they were really good about uh, uh, replacing them. So oh, that's good. you could send them in and get new ones. Yeah. But doing data recovery on there, a lot of times when you do data recovery, you don't get the file's name the way you normally would. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily detect properly when the files were closed for uh, video files. So you'll get like weird corrupted endings to your video footage or yeah. strange things like that. And most of the time I was able to rescue everything and, and not have to pay for reshooting. But uh, there were a few times where I lost something I probably couldn't have lost or didn't want to lose <laughs> and uh, ended up having to drive back out to a four-hour away location and, and film mm. for free. So. <laughs> that's brutal but hey that's part of the uh that's part of the fun of what we do huh uh yeah <laughs> one thing that is one thing you know as much as i complain about the canon c100 the uh dual card system that yeah. part was really nice being able to record the two cards simultaneously yeah and, yeah the so and the sony's like uh the, a lot of the the um 
I don't know. Does the FS? I can't remember. Does the FS one hundred have simultaneous cards like that? I think it does. I think a lot of the Sony ones do. Even even the lower end models. I would have to. Yeah, I'd have to go dig into it to find out for sure. But I'm pretty sure the the one hundred has dual memory cards. Yeah. But I'm not sure about the seven hundred. I would have to go look into that really quick to find out. So yeah, I'm not sure either. Because hmm. usually they do. They all look the same. They take you to the Sony or the SD, which is fantastic. Yeah, and that's one thing. The um, 5D Mark III it has two card slots, but you maybe yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't do both of them with the same data simultaneously. Or at least I don't think you can. There may be a way that I. Have, yeah. like not figured out or you know have it looked into honestly when i'm working on my 5d i generally use cf cards yeah i don't know i know it's fictitious to think that a cf card is more robust than a sdxc card and physically it is but as far <laughs> as your data goes yeah. i think it's just as likely that a cf card will go to you on you as a sdxc card so yeah. I guess my belief that my CF cards are better is is fabricated somewhere deep in my subconscious that makes me think that's a good idea. I don't know. And I I use those all the time, and I'm just like, yeah, I've got CF cards. Everything's fine. So hopefully that never comes to a head and, and blows up on me. I don't yeah. know. I, and honestly, in my experience, I've the only thing, again, knocking on wood, the only thing that's ever failed on me is CF cards. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, that's the only trouble I've ever had. Like if I if I have to like rent, uh, you know, five D Mark threes or Mark twos in the past or what, you know, anything, any of the bigger cameras that I've always had like a problem with at least one card. So, and I don't know if that's maybe because I'm, I'm uh, I don't know, buying crappy cards or something. I have no idea. Huh. They're yeah. name brand. But. The only thing I've ever run into with uh, CF cards is. Well, and the slot actually is a broken pin. I had oh, a pin yeah. stuck into the CF card and it ruined the board on the camera, which I, was like 1200 bucks to replace. But the uh, CF card, all you had to do is take a pair of needle nose and pull the the plug out and then you were good to go and it worked just fine. So, I mean, I guess the the media itself was good and that's great. It sucks spending a thousand and some change on a new motherboard for your camera. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather have the card go down than the motherboard on the camera. Well, <laughs> that's uh, that's one of the horror stories about the uh, 5D Mark III is that that micro SD or that micro um, HDMI port on there, as well yeah. as or the mini HDMI, excuse me. Yeah. And the the other ports, those are all on the main board. So if you bust the USB port off, or if you bust the uh, HDMI port, or any of those other things, you're breaking them right off of the main board. And the uh, the CF card, I believe. I might be wrong on this. One of one of the two, either the CF card or the SD card is attached to the main board. Uh, but uh, the other one is not. It's got like a jumper that comes off of it. I think it's the CF that's directly attached because the CF card has a higher data rate than the SDXE input. Right. But uh, I could be getting those backwards. It's been a long time since I've seen a 5D Mark III dissected. But once you break one of those ports... It's the whole board that gets replaced, Ooh, and so terrifying. and the board's attached to the the sensor and everything yeah. else. So I mean, it's a major expense <laughs> anytime you break one of those ports if you want them fixed. Yeah. So uh, with that in mind, make sure you use like some kind of HDMI locking mechanism if you're running yeah. around out in in any sort of area where it might get smacked because those aren't very tough ports. No, not a, that's what I was thinking. Like 
I don't understand. Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something else that I don't know, but the, the design of, of attaching right to the, to the board, the things that you're yanking out and getting pulled on and dragging your camera to the ground the most. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> they've gotten better with the 70 Mark II. Yeah. Uh, if you look, uh, there's a blog post. I believe this is by borrowers as well. Uh, they're not a paid sponsor, by the way. Um, they have a great <laughs> post where they do a teardown of the 70 Mark II. And that is one of the things that they did that was uh, really good in the design form is they took the audio ports as well as the HDMI port and added them to a clip-on little um, ribbon cable to go to the motherboard. So oh, cool. that way, if you bust any one of those, you're not crippling the motherboard and it ends up being like a $60 repair as opposed right. to a several thousand dollar or a thousand two hundred dollar repair. Looks like I'm going to have to uh, uh, definitely take a, a longer look at, uh, uh, I know on a past show with someone else, I can't remember who now, but um, we kind of mocked the 70 Mark II a little bit. Well, no, there was that. I was going to mention the, because uh, you said um, the HDMI uh, clip, uh, small rig that you were talking about, yes. the, the small rig company, they're, they have a, a great like a little HDMI clip that I'm I'm sure they got from somewhere else, but I've I've just <laughs> never seen it. But it goes right on their on their cages, and it's a it's a great design. It's kind of like the uh, you know Must HD um, uh, their their LCD screens. Have you seen those? The, uh, the oh Must yes HD yes ones. with that like like you push it's in like, and it like snaps yeah. onto it. I it's kind of like that. I have one right across from me right now. Oh, do you? Okay. And uh, the I. Honestly, I'm kind of bad about it. I actually take those off the monitor. Yeah, and the yeah, reason well, is is because they rattle around, and uh-huh. they only work with. Um, well, the one that comes with the monitor itself, it works just fine. It's a nice solid uh, plug connector, and it, it bites on really well and does a good job. But I use those really thin, really tiny. Um, uh, oh, I, I, HDMI. Yeah, cable? HDMI cables. Yeah. I think uh, I want to say Sescom makes them. That might yeah. be incorrect, but uh, they're really, really thin. And because they're thin, uh, the plug itself is too small for the Must HD uh, clip system to grip on to the end of the HDMI cable. So it kind of defeats the purpose, and then the (laughs) clips end up kind of rattling around a little bit. So uh, I've just ended up taking them completely off the monitor and not bothering with them. That's kind of my fault. I could probably use something that's a little bit thicker and bigger, but I just haven't. Yeah, that's all right. Well, I mean, the... the the small HD ones are are actually made out of like molded uh, yes. some sort of. Yes, I have one metal. for the uh, 5D Mark III. It's not uh-huh. made out of um, metal. It's actually an injection molded plastic with like a soft finish. Okay. But that one hooks on to where the uh, strap goes on the top with a like uh, bolt down little clip type deal, and okay. then it goes on. And there's if you take your 5D Mark III and flip it upside down, there's a little dent in the bottom of the camera and that slides in and like locks in there and then goes all the way up and then hooks into the strap clip. So, and I, I was on the Kickstarter for the small HD unit that you're talking about. Yeah. And that's great, except that it's not designed to work with the battery grip. And I run around on the battery grip quite a bit because the battery grip provides, you know, two batteries instead of one. So you get a lot longer life out of it. Yeah. And so I <laughs> bought it, I used it a couple of times and then I was like, well, I kind of want my battery grip back. So then I just haven't been using it. There mm. are a couple of, um, not a uh, small rig, but a- another company, I've been seeing them quite a bit on eBay and I was just trying to glance around on eBay real quick and see if I could find it, but it's escaping me. If you start searching for a DSLR rigs, you'll find 
a unit that they're selling for Sony as well as GH4s. And the GH4 and the Sony cages have this, like, it looks like a hand grip, and it comes out with two uh, little bars, and then that hand grip has a bunch of bolt-down clips on it. So the cable goes through there, and it creates kind of a cage around the port, and then the clips keep the cable from being yanked out. So you can't yank it out of the camera itself, and then it's protected from impact. And I think that might be one of the better ways to go. Sony, also with the A7S, they actually, when you get it in the package, and this is really nice, I think they're one of the few, one of the only camera companies that offers this, they include a port protector that actually grips onto your cables in the package with the camera. So the A7S one, the way it works is it actually bolts down onto the flip-out doors that cover up the ports. So when oh. you when you install it, there's two the doors aren't like the rubberized plastic like you get on Canon cameras. Instead, yeah. they're like a really hard plastic with like a metal hinge. So you pop both of those out, the port protector actually clips onto those and locks into place and then protects your ports while your cables are going in there. And it creates it does the same sort of thing. It creates like a little hoop that catches the cable so it can't be yanked out. And, oh cool. And that's pretty nice. I mean, I saw it when I was at NAB last year on the display and I thought it was just a clever way to prevent people from, you know, plugging recorders into it or, you know, doing any of that sort of thing. But it turns out it's actually sold with the camera. So if you do go buy a new A7S off of the shelf, that's, uh, that's what's coming with it. And that's pretty handy to have. Uh, Yeah. I'm just looking at eBay. It's, is this the, uh, are you talking about the, uh, the cam tree? Uh, Maybe cam tree. It's got like the, I've seen so many different, uh, I know brands and they kind of all start to look the same after a while so yeah this one looks really similar other than the fact that it's got huge uh or the uh it's called the cam tree hunt mod cage version 2 but this is for the the black magic uh, pocket camera i'm looking right now and i think the one i was i was uh envisioning is made by motion 9 motion 9 <laughs> yeah motion 9 products and okay. they've incorporated like they got that cheesy thing you know right now it's really cool for camera companies and, and rig manufacturers to put wood yeah, on their yeah. rig so that yeah. it looks classier. Honestly, that's not really my thing. I just I want metal, but I want it to be light. So instead of adding more stuff, guys, just you know, take it off and don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking at a picture of this uh, Motion Nine for the um, this is for the A7S, which already comes with a port protector. But yeah, it's um, four bolt down little grip units and then it comes out on what looks to be regular uh 15 millimeter rails and then the rail package it looks like you can slide it in and out depending on how you want it and then the cable goes through there and then into your camera itself so that's not a bad design the rigs themselves they're priced uh looks like they're offering 306 with 30 dollars shipping so 336 dollars and to make an offer um, you might be able to get this down to in the $260 range, which is where I've been seeing a lot of these other comp- uh, competing rigs. So, mm, Yeah, I don't know why I can't find that. I see Motion 9, but I just see a folding rig. Oh, it's not oh, spelled well. with the uh, – it's not the number 9. It's N-I-N-E. Oh, there's a, there's another uh, another company called Motion 9 with the number. <laughs> oh, no, this is Motion 9 with just Motion and the word 9 after it, and it's all one word. Oh, geez. Yeah. They're, they're coming out of the woodwork. 
Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got the same name. Okay. Oh, there it is. It's beautiful. It does look pretty that. nice. Yeah, that's that's pretty sexy. That's that's real nice. One of the things that they're doing with the A7S rigs is they're building a hot shoe off to the right a little ways. Yeah, I see that. And, and that's really nice because the XLR adapter can be mounted to that on a cold shoe and then they leave enough room or they have a cutout for the adapter with the wire to go onto the top of the camera. They do make the new K1M um, XLR adapters for the A7S and A7 series that slides directly onto the plate. But if you use that, then if you have any, you know, uh, accident or whatever, all the force is applied to the hot shoe on the camera. Right. By having the wire jumper system, you're just having a small clip in the camera and then the wire going off to wherever your audio is mounted. I kind of like that approach better, but it does kind of fit better with a rig than it does, you know, hanging out with uh, an extra cable and an audio adapter off to the side, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like this, this trend, like the wood thing. Yeah. I don't, I could take it or leave it. I don't yeah. really care about that, but I like the trend of these, these, uh, all, um, anodized aluminum, like it looks, you know, they try to make them, even though they're not, they try to look, make them look like it's just one piece molded, uh, like really low profile cages. Uh, I know, you know, for years it was like these great big massive, we have like two feet on each side of your camera, <laughs> but I love these, these new ones. It's, I, they're all very, uh, very reminiscent of wooden camera. It seems. Well, that's a, that's one company they're striving for. I actually, if you look closely at a lot of these, the main body for the more expensive ones are machined out of a single piece of aluminum. Yeah, yeah. And so they're doing some three-axis cutting on on that aluminum to get it to look like that. That's pretty sexy. The cheaper yeah. ones, there's actually, if you start looking at rigs, especially um, uh, like the Veravon rig is a great example. That one's made out of a single piece of, of cut aluminum. But right. there are a bunch of clones that look almost identical to the Veravon cage. And those, what they do is they bolt them together instead. And they drop by two to $300 when they go to that bolting system. And the reason is, is because machining, it's so much easier. And when yeah. you get to a system like that, you can machine all the flat pieces on a single two-axis CNC machine. Well, three-axis CNC machine, the ones that do the full piece are four-axis, actually, because they have to rotate around. But... Um, you can do that on a on a regular sheet, so you can do it with a single sheet of aluminum, and you can cut you know ten or twelve out of these. If you're doing uh, all one piece of aluminum from a solid block, they have to put it on a spinning, rotating, tool changing system, and yeah. that's an expensive system to run. Number one, and number two, it's not designed to do multiple items simultaneously in the same cradle. So you're doing one cut at a time and then kicking it out, and they can do them pretty fast with aluminum, especially if they have a water cooling head, but uh, even then, you're talking a lot more time and effort to do it that way than it is to bolt them together. Mm. Yeah, I, I I can't even fathom most of what you just said because I've never even seen a lot of these uh, like machines. I'm still oh. thinking back to like like high school and and making keychains out of plastic. And thinking, <laughs> wow, this DOS program can do this. It can build things for me. This is amazing. Uh, but, in my uh, <laughs> my downstairs area, I've got a a couple of lasers. And then I've got a three-axis CNC table that does wood and aluminum. So nice. when I'm pro prototyping something, that's usually what I use. And that's the cheaper version. And even though it's like a consumer-grade unit like I have at home, that's yeah. still like three or four grand. And the, yeah. the bigger ones that'll do mass production for these types of things, you're, you're easily going to get into the 60 or 100,000 
if not way more, depending <laughs> on like what it can do. The, yeah, exactly. The four axis ones, imagine like a robot arm. And okay. then a either the robot arm is stationary and the cutting head is motion in motion or right. the robot arm is motion and the cutting head stays stationary. But what it's doing is it can change out tools. So it'll grab a drill bit or it'll grab a cutting head or something like that. It'll pull it up, put it into place, and the robot arm will move a solid block of aluminum around on the cutting piece until it cuts out whatever design you want. Then so, it'll change the tool, come back up with another tool, and then the arm will run another path on that tool and cut out another section. And you do that <laughs> until, like, basically it's subtractive machining. So yeah. when you're done, you've cut out all the extra bits out of that solid block of aluminum that you don't need for the camera, you know, where the camera goes. Right. And they run those paths with, like, six tools or three tools, depending on, like, how many holes they need to put and where they need to, you know, have threads and stuff like that. And then once the machine's done, it kicks it out. But with the three-axis CNC, you just cut. It's like cutting paper, with only it's aluminum. So you yeah. just cut a pattern and then dive in. And so because you can do that out of a solid sheet of aluminum, you can do, you know, 10 side pieces and 10, you know, four front pieces or, you know, or whatever you can fit on the sheet. And you can just cut it all out in once and then have somebody assemble it off to the side. And they're usually cheaper than running the machine. Yeah. I mean, and when you when you were talking about earlier as well too about taking making it uh, sit like a cage separate pieces instead of making it all one piece and then bolting it together. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're you should be fairly safe un- unless you're putting on you know thirty pounds of extra gear, right? Yeah, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't put like a Shogun on there. Right, right. But if you're just putting a small little um, HD monitor or an eyepiece or something like that, it's probably not too big a deal. Where it gets to be an issue is if you have a lot of friction arms, because oh, okay. yeah. the friction arm, if it's holding something light, like a microphone, that's not a big deal. But if it's holding something that would normally be okay mounted directly to the rig and you have it out on the arm, now you have that whole lever of the right. arm pulling on the, whatever section of the rig it's attached to. Yeah. And there were reports early on with red cameras, um, red rock micro and, uh, a couple other companies, there were a lot of clone rigs out there. And what happened was people would end up buying a kit and then buying a couple extra pieces on eBay because it was cheap. And the pieces would be made out of of less quality metal than the rest of the unit. So then when they would hang their, you know, $1,000 display (laughs) monitor on there or something like that, the arm would break off in the socket because the socket was made out of something cheaper than what Red Rock was selling or whoever. And then they would go back to Red Rock and say, hey, your rig is crap. You owe me money for breaking this monitor. And then when they do post motor mortem on it, well, it turns out that yeah, everything was great except for that one piece that you bought on eBay and attached to your rig. And like, it looks like ours, it was colored the same. It was blue and black or, you know, yeah. red and whatever, like Zakudo yeah. stuff, but it just wasn't as quality of material. And that's something you got to yeah. think about it, especially, you know, if you have um, $20,000 to spend on a camera, yeah, buy a decent rig guy, you know yeah, I mean? I know it. That's that's what I always say too. I, I mean, for me, I feel like I can get away with it. I got tiny little cameras that aren't worth a lot of money. I'll just, you know, I can I can get away with stuff as long as my work looks good. But some people are just like, hey, uh, that camera's like fifteen grand, and you've got another, you know, ten grand worth of stuff surrounding it. So I think you should uh, take the extra time to make sure that that's made out of real, real metal. hearty plastic or most likely metal. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, with like a T two I, it's. It's okay. If you break your yeah. T2I, you know, a used T2I is like 200 bucks. That yeah. sucks, but it's not like the end of the world. 
exactly. if you uh, if you face plant your red one or something like that, <laughs> yeah. Or you know, yeah. even if it's not the red one, if like you damage a lens or destroy something uh, exterior to it, that's pretty expensive cost. Whereas you know, even small rigs, um, those look pretty nice. I don't know about how the metal is used, but uh, definitely wooden camera. Like their rigs are all made out of really solid stuff. Zakudo makes really solid stuff. Uh, uh, Red Rock Micro has been making good stuff for a while. All those companies make solid stuff, and they actually, they'll, you know, a lot of times if you call them out on like Twitter or something because something in, of theirs broke and damaged your stuff, they'll usually cover you because yeah. they yeah. do a really good job with their stuff so much so that they believe in it. Yeah. And that's why I kind of bring it up because those are the people that people are imitating. And then when those break, and they blame them, then and it turns out not to be them. Then it's like this whole big deal about, hey man, don't use cheap crap on your yeah. your gear. Yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, a, a perfect example of that is um, the uh, uh, I, I use a lot of Hondo Garage stuff. Have you heard of them? Uh, no, I haven't. That sounds uh, shady. Is it? Is it not? No, shady? not at all. They're 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 out of the states, and they make some excellent excellent stuff. It's all really they're all very minimalistic, low profile stuff. Uh, it's, I think it's hondogarage.com. Um, they, they have a mostly like their rails and, and uh, uh, just uh, like th- those type of things to, to connect your rails to your, to your camera and, and like really simple rigs and stuff. But they have the, their new thing. Uh, I want to get the name right. What's it called? What's it called? Yeah, I'm looking at the barely rig where it's just like a, yeah, a pair yeah, of rails I, that attaches to the bottom of your camera. Yeah, I've got that. And then the big rig as well to make it bigger if I if I need to. But it's the uh, the thing I was thinking about is their new product called the Pop and Lock. Oh yeah, I'm looking at that right now. And a lot of people have been using it, uh, especially if you're if you're traveling and, and things like that. Uh, I haven't had a chance to try one myself, but um, great idea. Really really good engineering and stuff. And you can use it for you know it doesn't just have to be kind of that Scorpion style uh, handle like they show on the website. You can use it for a bunch of different things. I've seen people use that thing for everything and it, and it looks solid, like really solid. And that looks really, really similar to, uh, uh, shoot. Who are those guys? I always forget their names. They used to, they changed their name and they used to be like simple film tools. And now they're, um, something weird with a K or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Um, Oh, dang it. I was just talking (laughs) about it a previous episode, but for some reason they're escaping me right now. They make like the slider with the motorized gear and that one that's like two um, two slip rings inside each other so that your whole slider moves on the tray as well as the slider uh, unit itself. Huh. You know that what I'm talking about? Uh, I, 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 it, that sounds familiar, but I can't think of who it would be. <laughs> Dang it. Oh, oh, anyway, they have a – oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say now we're like furiously typing. Yeah, I know. It's, um, <laughs> I must find them. I'm pretty sure it? It, it starts with the K. They're the, the guys out of yeah. like um, uh, the Middle Middle East somewhere. Uh, and they make uh, uh, several of the really good sliders that are like a slider within a slider. And they also had a couple other weird uh, deals. Their booth is usually machined treasures when you go to uh, NAB. But they have a rig that looks almost identical to this, and it folds into like a little square. And I think it's also it also turns into like a a tripod, like a really small tripod as well. And and when I saw this, that's what I thought it was. But uh, um, dang it, uh, yeah, I'm just gonna like bang my head against the wall. Everybody probably is like screaming right now, like it's this, just, it's this, yeah, just find it. Yeah, but uh, for yeah, those of you out there. Garage. 
Sorry. Oh yeah, Hondo Garage. So this one's what a uh, 129. That's not bad. Yeah, and and I, I, I their stuff I feel like is the kind of stuff that you that you 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 only have to purchase once. You know what I mean? Like they they really built it to last, and and uh, the the owner machines everything himself. It looks like so. Uh, yeah, good stuff, and it's kind of they they call it um, you know like it's like uh, Lego for adults or. <laughs> Because all their stuff fits together, and they have that fifty dollars follow focus, which is really neat too. Yeah, I was just looking at that. That's a uh, pretty slick with the with the um, rod that sticks out as opposed to a wheel type of system. Yeah, with the little belts and everything. And, yeah, it yeah. looks like they uh, save a little bit on machining and stuff, and on parts because of that. That's not a bad design. Yeah, it's it's a lot of people use it. It's pretty cool. Like if you if you don't want a big heavy rig and and you're going to be on top of a mountain doing something for National Geographic or whatever, I guess that would be the way to go. I've kind and of gotten laxed about paying attention to rigs because once you kind of buy a couple that you like and you're yeah. using, you, you kind of stop looking. It's true, yeah. And if you if you invest, you know, the first time, then you don't have to worry about it for years and years and years and years. Well, I have, um, I have a couple. There's a rig right over, I think um, it's called the Talon. And I forget who makes it. I want to say it's like Mantis. But the the Talon was a great square rig when square rigs were kind of getting big. Mm-hmm. And it it's if it's the 5D Mark III with a battery and um, if it's the 7D as well as a bunch of other DSLRs. So I've kind of like, – I bought two of those a long time ago, and they are pretty spendy. I think they were 500 bucks or better. Mm-hmm. And I kind of use those whenever I need something really bulky where I just need to attach a ton of stuff to. And then for my small stuff, and, and when you get a new camera that's really small, like the GH4, yeah. then I start digging around again and looking for stuff. I kind of want to rig for the A7S, but what I've run into, and maybe somebody out there can kick in some ideas on this, but uh, using the adapter to hook on Canon lenses, it has a foot on it, and I would like to kind of put that foot on something, you know, when it, you twist yeah. in, like lock it in or something so that mm. it's supporting the lens on the camera body. And mm. most of the rigs I've tested out, they don't have a space for that foot because a lot of the rigs now are using kind of an interference fit where it pushes up against the front of the camera so that it doesn't twist on the rig. And because mm. of that little foot that's holding the camera in place, it actually ends up bumping that lens adapter as you adapt to Canon lenses. And I actually, the Veravon cage, I ran into the same thing when I'm using the uh, Metabones adapter. So when you put the uh, Metabones speed booster electronic adapter onto the GH4, that (laughs) foot gets in the way and you can't put it on. So you have to take the foot off. Well, that's fine if you're using something like the Canon 51.4 or the 85.1.8. But if you slap something giant on there like the 85.1.2 or the 51.2, then you're you know, I'm nervous about breaking the GH4, you know? So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, how small is it? Like I, I honestly, to be honest, I haven't, I haven't uh, even got a chance to play with the A7S at all or like even hold one. I don't know why that's one camera. I just haven't uh, touched really, but um, it, I didn't realize how small it was. For some reason I thought it was bigger. I'm just looking at images now because I wanted to see what the, the lens flow looked like, but uh well, because that's, that's tiny. Because the uh, the uh, the frame to the sensor itself, the flange distance is so small. Mm-hmm. the The camera is only uh, maybe at most an inch thick across the main part of the body, 
and then an inch and a half to two inches, it comes out just a little bit for the hand grip and the, and the memory card. Yeah. The memory card actually slides in forward instead of sideways, and it slides in where the, the handle comes out. So the handle itself is only probably you know a quarter of an inch longer than the memory card and a trap door to go over the top of it. So that's mm. kind of how big it is right there at the widest point. The whole camera is really small, and <laughs> the lens, any lens you put on it, as far as uh, uh, Canon adapters goes anyhow, it's like... I don't know. It makes it, it makes it seem like you're you're attaching an elephant to a monkey or something. Yeah. It's just like it's not right. <laughs> an elephant to a monkey. Yeah, I'm yes. just trying to like pick two animals, <laughs> hook them together really quick in my mind, visualize, go. Where where's the attachment point on a monkey? That's what that's my next I, question. You know, maybe there's some sort of mating involved. I, I believe I saw an episode of South Park at some point, or maybe that was a pig and an elephant. I don't know. But it's uh, a yeah. it's it's just weird. Because you want to attach your Canon glass to it, but it doesn't quite fit. Mm. And then it's the same thing. Um, I have the uh, that LEA4 adapter for the A7S, and I've got some um, Minolta glass coming in to test out on it. But that adapter, it comes down a good quarter inch or better underneath of the camera. So you won't be able to slide it onto a rig and twist it in and lock it into place. You might be able to do something about maybe putting it on in, in advance and somehow taking the rig apart and putting it on there and, and what have you. Yeah. And I have heard that um, some of the small rigs have like kind of a half body thing where oh. it goes around one side and then like hooks onto the cold shoe or the hot shoe on top yeah, and then yeah. like leaves the other side open. So maybe that might be an option. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is like, that's kind of a plus and a minus for these, these really small cameras uh and the, the mirrorless cameras like that is the uh is the size just because you know yeah the lenses you might be able to find them cheaper they're easier to carry good for traveling and stuff but if you do want to rig it up uh you're gonna run into things like that especially with you and, and having like a whole nice set of uh, canning glass like that well and, and one of the guys that came on the cast uh earlier in the in the month he was talking about how he was using a i believe a, a tamron 24 to 70 on his gh3 wow with a speed booster <laughs> and i mean that's cool that it works and it's awesome that your f28s get knocked down by the speed booster but yeah. man yeah, that's... that is a, a substantial piece of glass to hook onto such a tiny little camera <laughs> yeah. seems like it'd be yeah. really top heavy and he, he was talking about it he said yeah it's it's a little bit awkward to you know hold on to because yeah you're holding on to the lens really and you're not really holding on to the body the other issue is a lot of well it depends on which adapter you buy but even metabones is one of the the pricier adapters my metabones is tight at the lens but it's a little bit loose on the gh4 so that oh, really? could be yeah that could be another issue too if you don't have everything secured down to something i mean then you got a little bit of wiggle in that mount and that may affect video a little bit if you're if you're filming if you oh, start bumping sure. stuff you know, yeah, uh, for sure. Imagine if you're, it's probably only like a quarter of a degree or ha uh, half a degree, but imagine if you're filming and then like everything just kind of shifts to the side a little bit or like yeah. gets knocked to the side or whatever. That's a little weird, right? Well, especially, especially for Metabones, I, I wouldn't, uh, I don't know, that would make me a little nervous because I, I wouldn't want to spend that kind of money on, on an adapter like that and, and have, I don't want any wiggle. I don't want nothing to happen because, it, you know, it, I don't know, like we've all been in the situation where, 
you know something happens you're walking backwards you're if you're running the camera and you're and you're doing some sort of a complicated shot and if you're maybe you're pulling focus at uh, yourself or who knows and something like that does happen where you get a lens shift and it it happens you know more than a couple of times on a few different takes and then you leave oof i wouldn't want to have to yeah you know what i mean you get those those optical problems like that well, and it's it's really weird that um, I have a couple of like cheap adapters, the uh, newer or one of those brands, yeah, you know, newer. Yeah, or, yeah. or you know, Film City, one of the generic uh, adapters, and I have yeah. um, a FD to M43 adapter, and that one it's tight on both of them. I mean, it was tight enough on the lens side that I felt a little nervous putting the lens on. I, that's how you know, oh, really? kind of poorly machined it was. <laughs> and then putting it onto the camera, it's snug as all get out. So, you know, maybe that's just because of, of poor machining. And I've talked to a few people that said they've had issues with the Metabones adapters being loose on one side or the other, and they ended up just sending it back and Metabones sent them a new one. They said that uh, they have tolerances for their machining and that, that sometimes it's up to like, you know, whatever percent off. And if it's too much, then it could create a loose body or, or it might depend possibly on the camera specs and the adapter specs being just that far out of tolerance from each other, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And when you're, when you're talking about like the, those micrometers, min- yeah, minute of measurements, I, yeah, I guess uh, those could slip through the crowds for sure. All right. Moving on down the news here. Um, I've got these really sexy looking uh, Samsung one terabyte SSDs. Uh, these are a, a USB three device. They're basically an 850 Evo one terabyte drive that has had all of the housing and casing torn off. And it's put into a, a tiny little machined aluminum case with a single USB three port. These are powered off of a USB three and the drive fits in a smaller space than your wallet would take up looks as though I'm looking at the pictures right now, the measurements, and it looks about maybe four credit cards thick and yeah. slightly wider and longer than a, a credit card in general. So that's one terabyte SSD. Now, oh. one thing you're limited by is because this is USB 3, uh, your maximum transfer rates on USB 3 is, is five gigabits or s- about 640 megabytes. That's bytes with a Y and bits with an I. So if you guys start trying to figure out what I'm talking about. <laughs> and that's the maximum, but with uh, USB 3, you still have overhead data and a bunch of other information that's encoded that goes along with that. So in practical reality, you're probably looking at being limited by USB 3 as your read-write speeds. That would put you in the ballpark of about uh, 400 mega, uh, megabit, no, megabytes. Now I'm getting it wrong. Megabytes <laughs> per second. So that's not quite as fast as probably the 850 Evo could handle uh, internal reads and writes, but 400 megabytes, that's yeah. that's still enough to edit 4K, work on a big foot, uh, big oh, yeah. clip, you know, have a bunch of footage streaming to your computer. <laughs> and one terabyte, that's not anything to laugh at. That's enough space to really keep a lot of data on there. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, well, you, you just came back from uh, from a, a lengthy trip where you were I shooting. Four, a- four terabyte spinning drives. Yeah, would you have rather brought uh, uh, maybe eight of these? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I believe these are sitting at about five fifty or six hundred dollars a pop. So yeah, you know, my four terabyte spinning drives. I think when I bought all four of those, it was um, hundred and forty or hundred and thirty a piece. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a substantial price difference there. Yeah. Um, I'm probably limited by the price, but I do have a a one terabyte scratch disk on 
my editing laptop and that's um ssd and that was on my old laptop as well as my new laptop so i do have substantial amount of of space to work on like several sequences yeah and so what i end up doing a lot of times is i'll import the clips for a couple days where they're shooting depending on how many cameras are running and how much we're shooting and then i'll edit all that into a sequence and there's a really awesome feature i don't know if you've used it in premiere yet but it basically allows you to bundle everything that's associated with that project into oh, right, a yeah. single folder and mm-hmm. it pairs off anything you're not using. Yeah. So one thing I often do after I, I feel like I'm to the point where I don't need anything else from the project is I'll create a pared down version using that tool in Premiere and then leave that on the SSD, put the original project back on to one of these four terabyte drives and then move on to the next section And that way I can keep going back to those if I need to trim something up, shorten it, lengthen it or whatever. It's collected all the assets that I'm actually using and and getting rid of all the fluff and the extra stuff and the shots I didn't use. So, right, right. No, that's, that's really cool. Actually. Um, yeah, I don't use that too much with premiere. Sorry. Now you got me thinking about that, but I, uh, I used to do that all the time with, uh, like the, uh, the media manager on final cut seven. Yeah. Do you remember that? (laughs) I I saw it, but I'm not a, I'm not a Mac user, oh, yeah, so use- yeah. I mean, well, I've I've seen people use it, and they've told me about it, and I've had to deal with like AIF files, yeah, and that sort of thing. And so it was really nice there because I don't really know how Macs think about where storage stuff is. It's kind of weird to me how like where things go. So when they did that, then they had a nice folder, and they're like, "Oh yeah, okay, now I'll just give you the AIF files." Whereas before they were somewhere, but I, you know, I couldn't find them anywhere, so I didn't know where they went. <laughs> Well, it's not that much different now, is it? Uh, I mean, no, now that like... now that they've moved on, this is like five or six years ago, yeah, four yeah, or five yeah. years ago. It was, as a PC user, if you've used PCs your entire life, as yeah. soon as you get on a Mac, the first thing you want to do is like right click and yeah. you know bring down a sub menu and then like dig in deep and try and figure out what's going on. But you don't really have that with a Mac. And yeah. they make things simpler, but they're so simple that if you aren't familiar with the simpleness, then they actually become complicated. So, yeah, I know it's, yeah. And, and for me, like, you know, going onto a, onto a PC like that, just, and, and I honestly, I have no preference. I just kind of did whatever I, what was available to me years ago. And that happened to be Apple, but I just, uh, going onto, onto PCs and, and editing, as long as I'm in premiere, I'm great or after effects or any Adobe software. But once I have to do any kind of system stuff, I'm kind of lost nowadays. Well, and the, uh, the project management stuff that's available in, in Adobe CC is mm-hmm. really nice if you're exchanging projects with someone else. So yeah. if you have to send stuff back and forth to another editor or somebody else who's doing some other portion, visual effects or title sequences or something like that, it's really nice to be able to bundle the project up know that it'll open for them and put everything onto, you know, like a 500 gig or a one terabyte uh, plug-in hard drive and then just yeah. mail it off or whatever, you know, right, right, right. hand it off and yeah. then let them work on it. And now some of these um, thumb drives, uh, I have a couple of uh, thumb drives from, um, I think they're from SanDisk, but their they're read and write speeds are in the 200 meg range. So... Well that's enough to kind of work on a project off of, and they go all the way up to 512 gig. I have a couple of 256 gigs that I carry around. And if you're working on a, a medium to small project, 
and you consolidate your files down to the files that you're using, oh, yeah. a lot of times, you know, 128 or 256 gig yeah. is more than enough to yeah, yeah. hand off a project. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would, that would be fantastic. Um, and that's what I'm, I was thinking with the, with these tiny, these teeny tiny Samsungs here. I mean, you, you give it six or eight months and, uh, let the price drop a little bit or even a year or two. And, you know, I'm sure everybody will be, uh, you know, using their credit card size. Uh, you'll, you'll be at the, at the gas station, you'll whip out your, your tiny Samsung S- SSD and try to run it through the, uh, the credit card machine there and just, be embarrassed when uh, when it doesn't work. Yeah, now the units I'm thinking of, <laughs> they're made by PNY. Uh, so PNY is the company. And yeah. uh, I'm looking right now on Amazon, and it looks like you can buy a 128 gig drive for $40, $46. So that's a really decent price for 128 gig. And it looks like that particular model is only available up to 256 and the 256 is $85. $85 might be a little bit too much to hand off and give away, but $45 or $46 isn't too bad for tacking on a little bit of extra price to a project and turning over files on it. So, Oh, yeah, and just, and just the ease. Like, if you do have to mail it, at least it's going to be considerably cheaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. These are just, way lighter than a regular hard drive, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you just don't want the uh, courier to lose it on the way over. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do very much stuff by snail mail anymore, but no. I used to package up uh, drives on occasion and send them back to an editor in uh, in Lincoln or Omaha, and yeah. that was that was quite a, a bit of risk. I would always have a backup copy, but you know if you needed to start working on it by Tuesday and I sent it overnight and then it was busted when it got there, well now I was one day behind on the edit. Yeah, exactly. I I I've only had to do it a couple of times, and in my case, it was uh, to Toronto for. Which is, uh, if you didn't know, it's about two hours north of me. But uh, yeah, I just had a hard time sleeping, sweating the whole time. I never had any problems, so I had no reason to feel that way, but it just freaked me out. Now, uh, one other thing I have in the rundown here for those hard drives before we move on is um, the My Digital SSD uh, Pocket Vault. It looks like this is a 100 terabyte drive as well. It's a little bit bulkier than the ones that are offered by Samsung. But the price is also about two hundred dollars cheaper. Looks like the one terabyte model is about four fifty new with free shipping from Amazon, and they have a five hundred and twelve gig model that's about two hundred bucks. So that might also be the way to go. The only thing on that one, it's not a Samsung drive. The SD SSD inside is um, questionable. I don't, no one they don't really tell you what brand it is or what specs it has. And a lot of people are writing. Uh, reviews that say that the first three or four writes and reads from it are very fast. And then after that, it falls off almost immediately and drops down to under a hundred meg reads and writes. So Uh-oh. there could That's be something <laughs> like going on in the background with that one. It could be a port issue with the people that are using it, or it could be more substantial than that. So buyer beware on that one, but it is out there and I'm sure there are other flavors and offerings on the market if you're in the, in the vicinity of needing one. Uh, last thing on the news list here, I've got the uh, Rokin, uh, Rokinon 135mm F2. Uh, they finally started pre-ordering this. This has kind of been one of those things where over the last week or so, they've been teasing out pictures, then there was a little more information, then the uh, lens was actually announced, and now the pricing is out. You can look at about 549 from B&H or Amazon to pre-order this, and they're supposed to be sh- starting shipping in about two months. So... 
if you want one, you can get on the waiting list. This is probably going to be pretty popular. I've got right here in the show notes a list of all of the uh, Rokinon lenses that are out there right now. Yeah. And, you know, they're doing a really good job. They've got yeah. a, a 14, a 24, a 35, a 50, and an 85. And really, you somebody could argue that maybe you give up the 24 or the 35 and add the 135, and you're looking at under $2,000 for an entire set of lenses. Oh, yeah, that would be really – that's what I was thinking, actually, as you were talking. I was looking at this, and I'm like, I would take the 14, the 35, and the 135, and that would be, uh, that would be a perfect uh, even more kind of – kind of starter set, but, uh, I'd really take them all to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the price, um, yeah, and yeah, there's, uh, there's all. arguments back and forth about whether to go with the cinema version or the regular version. These, I've got this priced out at under 2000 for the non cinema version, mm-hmm. but a lot of people, they do want their declipped, uh, declicked aperture. Yeah. I don't really adjust my aperture on the fly very often. So yeah, that's not a huge issue for me. But I guess if you're moving around in and out of dark and light areas and you don't really have control over your lighting, maybe that's something that uh, indie filmmakers are really doing all the time. It kind of feels like maybe if you are doing that, chances are you probably have a motor driver system and a nicer camera and some other things. And then I kind of wonder whether or not you'd be using, you know, Rokinon series lenses or if you'd be (laughs) renting out some nicer primes some uh, Canon cinema primes or something like that. So these aren't meant for, even with the cinema range ones, they're probably not meant for everybody, but if you are using a smaller sensor camera, and that's one cool thing to think about is the smaller sensor cameras are only using the center portion of these lenses. So a lot of times with uh, the Rokinon Samyong branded lenses, the issue is that there's like light fall off at the corners or they're less sharp in the corners well, on a micro four thirds or crop sensor, now well, it's less of an issue. You don't really have to yeah. worry about it. So yeah. that's one thing. And then a couple people, we kind of were talking about these lenses uh, last episode, and they were asking about adapting these. I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. Th- these lenses, when you shoot, if if you're buying a manual focus lens, w- what camera are you shooting on right now? Uh, 60D and TTI. 60D. So what is your approach for? For lens adaptation, do you just buy the native lenses for your camera, or do you? Um, I have a little set of old, uh, uh, really old, like manual Nikon glass that I use, and I I just use all kind of dummy adapters. Just I, I my my theory is the simpler it is, the less that can go wrong, kind of thing. Like just one piece of aluminum, stick it on, and that's all I really need to. And then other than that, I, I any of my other lenses are all. Uh, Canon mounts. So. Well, there's a few theories, especially if you're shooting on the uh, GH4, mm-hmm. about possibly going with a Nikon mount instead of a Canon mount and then using a speed booster for the GH4. That way, in the future, if you have a Nikon mount, you can adapt to your camera, for example. Yeah. Uh, you can also adapt to Nikons right out of the gate. You can adapt to GH4. And you get a little bit more range on what you can put the lenses on if you buy Nikon instead of Canon. So that is something to think about uh, for GH4 owners if you're thinking about bouncing to a a crop sensor camera or a full frame down the road. Maybe going with Nikon isn't a bad idea, especially since you can adapt the Nikon mounts to a Canon camera. Yeah, it's it's true. And, and you know, I don't know if the – it seems like that – 
that Nikon mount's not going anywhere. It's been it's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, maybe that's a good way to future proof uh, gear for for anybody uh, that that wants a, a camera switch up like that. That's a that's a good point. I never really actually thought about that, but yeah, I I kind a, of, a couple of people were asking about it, and I didn't really put a lot of thought into it either because. I have a lot of lenses that are designed specifically for the camera brand I'm using. Yeah. But I do have a number of FD lenses that I've kind of moved around from camera to camera, depending on what I'm shooting. So with those FD lenses, I bought the night or well, those are FD. So I bought, I bought, um, no, I didn't buy a Nikon mount cause those are Canon, Canon made FD. I'm <laughs> now I'm completely off. Um, basically those are FD. So FD was Canon. If you're not familiar with it, it was Canon's earlier version of lens mount. They went FD to EF. And FD used a smaller flange distance than the EF lenses. So if you want to use those on an EF camera, you can't really, unless you use some kind of expander tool, which is a lens that goes in front of the uh, lens or in front of the lens itself in order to make it bigger so that it covers the sensor. But if you have an EOS M camera, because the flange distance is small, you can use FD lenses without an issue. You can use FD lenses on the GH4 as well as a lot of the Sony cameras. Um, it's a full frame coverage for the FD lenses. So you could even use those on a Sony a seven S if you wanted to. So that part is really good, but for everything else, the Nikon Nikkor lenses, especially the older ones, they're, they've gotten kind of pricey because now they're sort of popular. Yeah. But (laughs) in the old days I used to have an entire set. Um, and I bought those for 50 or hundred dollars a piece because no one wanted them at the time. And I was, uh, adapting them to uh, an HV20 and stuff like that. Um, but still, you can buy those for 500 to $700 a lens, which I don't know. I guess when it, we're getting to that price, I'm starting yeah, to think these uh, Rokinon lenses are looking way more attractive because that's the brand new price of these guys. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, yeah, I don't know if I – are they really that much money for these – you're talking about the Nikon lenses? Yeah, well, I buy the the nicer ones, the F12s and stuff like that. So yeah, those are that, pretty spendy. Let me well, look yeah, on eBay right now and find out, but I'm pretty sure a Nikon, a Nikkor, a 50 millimeter F12. Yeah, it's probably going to be that. F12. Yeah, it's uh there's a lot of buy it nows for about $400. That's, uh, not that that's not that bad. Actually, oh. there are a couple on here with buy it now is a $300. So they've come back down in price. They're not as expensive as I was remembering them being. I sold my entire set off um, right when DSLR filmmaking became a thing and bought <laughs> regular L lenses with the the leftover money because I had an entire set of, of Nikkor lenses, the 5112, the 5512, and a couple other ones because I got them for such good prices. I just bought a bunch of them. And then uh-huh. when they got out of control, I sold them all for five hundred, six hundred dollars a pop, and wow. then I just went and bought L lenses with them. So, <laughs> so I lucked out. I've gotten really yeah, that's good because of my timing and buying stuff when it wasn't popular. I've gotten very lucky with uh, purchasing many of these things and getting away with selling it off at a higher higher price. So. <laughs> well, now what's going to happen is all because because of all the Micro Four Thirds cameras that are that are kind of cleaning up it seems now uh you know everybody seems to be switching and there's all the talk of i finally ditched canon or whatever um i I feel like all these smaller lenses now and especially the european ones all these old european lenses are all skyrocketing now 
Yeah, there's a big market right now for the CCVT lenses as well. Yeah, to yeah. Try and adapt those to your uh, micro four thirds bodies. I'm not a huge fan of those. They're kind of iffy lenses, and and a yeah. lot of times, depending on the coverage, you're gonna have to punch in on it to to use it. So I don't know if that's the way to go. Maybe if you're still on the GH3, that might be a good option. GH4, yeah, well, I don't know, man. What about what about if you're scaling down to 1080 though from from 4K? Can you? Yeah, I suppose you could. You could shoot it at 4K and then uh, punch in digitally. I don't know if that's do it that way, it, or you can punch <laughs> in on the sensor because the um, the GH4, GH3, and all the way back, I think to the GH2 have that magnification shooting where you can oh, punch right, in right. and shoot one for one. So hmm. you can either shoot the entire sensor and scale down to 1080p or 4K or shoot at 4K. Or you can shoot the entire, or just the center of the sensor, and it uses uh, the 1080p by uh, pixels in the center of the sensor to create your image. So then it's yeah. one for one, there's no scaling at all. And if you do that, then you can get away with shooting on uh, some of the CCVT cameras. Some of the old 16mm lenses, actually, depending yeah. on the one you choose, I think they can cover the entire frame of Micro Four Thirds. They, they do have a lot of light fall off. But if you know what you're working with, uh, a lot of times you can put a filter on in post and correct for that. So, Or if you enjoy that look and, and having kind of that vignetted style is what you're going for, that's also yeah. a, an interesting way to go. Yeah, I, I, uh, my neighbor actually had an old, um, uh, an old uh, I don't know if it was 16 or 8 millimeter. I ripped it apart so quick I can't even remember. But it had a, it had a Mansfield uh, Cinepar zoom lens on it, which is a uh, uh, 10 millimeter to 30, 1.8. Nice. Um, yeah, and I ripped that out of there, and uh, I stuck it on some uh, some adapter rings, and I stick it on my my cameras every once in a while. It's got a really weird, uh, like horror ific type look. They would they would like it on uh, American Horror Story or whatever. Some of those things, if you're looking for some kind of weird like uh, point of view sort of shot, where maybe somebody's yeah. like had bandages over their face and they're just getting them off or or what have you, yeah. that style really adds well to that and. Especially if you're going to have, you know, bandages laying around the camera. You want dark spots and you want some weird looking bits like they just got punched in the face or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. One of the other lenses to, to look out for, and this is less popular and it's older. These are 1960s models, but the SC 55mm oh. uh, F1.2, a Nikkor lens, a lot of times you can find that guy in the mid-200s to low-200s. And hmm. it, the 50 is what everybody looks for, the 50 millimeter F1.2. But even though the uh, 55 F1.2 is a little bit soft, it has a really nice look to it, and it's a very affordable lens. It's, it's usually $100 to $200 cheaper than the 50 millimeter. So Ooh. as long as you don't mind a little bit soft wide open at 1.2, yeah. that's definitely a lens to check out, the 55 yeah. F1.2. So, and that's a Nikon now, Nikkor. Nice. Now, there you go. It just got nuked. Now it's gonna be now it's gonna be yeah. like three hundred and fifty dollars each. Well, while we're on the the like old lens subject, another Canon lens to look for that's I know about. I own a couple because I I've gotten them for really cheap and they're great lenses. They're just um, really old now. Is the seventeen to thirty five millimeter? The seven. Oh yeah, yeah. The seventeen to thirty five is now. I think three generations old because you had the 17 to 35, you had the 16 to 35 Mark one. And then now you have the 16 to 35 Mark two. Well, even when the 16 to 35 Mark one came out, it was so popular that the price of the 17 to 35 fell substantially. 
And a couple years ago, when they released the uh, 16 to 35 Mark II, the 17 to 35 has dropped down to where it's it's under 500 bucks. A lot of times you can get it for 400, 300 dollars. Really? Yeah, and I it's a really decent wide angle lens. The only issue is if you ever lose any electronics in it, there's no repair um, method. You know, you you can buy one that's broken and take the parts out of it, but you can't really send it into Canon and be like, hey, fix this, you know. And I'm oh, a, really? I, I have the, uh, I think it's $100 a year, the Canon uh, Pro account. Yeah, yeah. And they call it Pro. It doesn't mean anything. If you pay $99, <laughs> they'll put a label on you that says Pro. That isn't, yeah. that's not the thing. The thing is, is that you can register certain pieces of equipment in your kit and the, the the account pays for cleaning on I believe like three lenses or two lenses a year. It uh, is expedited repairs with replacement option if you need to while your lens is getting repaired or your camera body and camera body cleaning up to two bodies. And you can put your gear on the list and then like you get you get discounts on repairs for your lenses on your bodies and you get cleaning. And then anytime they have one of those um, Canon CPS booths at any of these events the people that are on the list can get their cameras cleaned and serviced for free at that booth so then oh, you really? just go drop your gear off they give you a receipt you get it clean you come back you pick it up and you're good to go so if you're in a major metropolitan area where that cps booth comes by every once in a while or if you're someone who has a lot of equipment and you kind of want a little bit of protection in case like you need to send it in for repair it is only 99 dollars a year and they send you like a, a cute little book that has all Canon's products in it. And they and they send you a bunch of spam email that's like, hey, uh, <laughs> you should become an even bigger pro by giving yeah. us $200. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. But you can't you can put up to two bodies on it. And they, they basically, there's a point system for your lenses and your bodies. So you can put whatever combination on there. And whatever combination you have is what they will take care of for expedited repairs, cleaning, and all that stuff. So... It's something to look into if you haven't thought about it in the past. Um, it is $99, and if you don't take advantage of it, then you've basically just given away $99. So yeah, yeah, that's exactly. something to think about, too. But if you do use it, uh, what's a camera body cleaning cost at a regular camera shop? I think it's like 50 or 60 bucks. So Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I, I probably should do that sometime, but uh, yeah, I probably won't. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I just know that... Uh, you know, it gets to a certain point with these, with my old cameras. I just, yeah, it, it's a it's such a good idea, and I probably should do that. But uh, I'm just waiting for the for the day that I get to uh, to upgrade. So <laughs> your cleaning <laughs> is the upgrade. Yeah, exactly. I will. I will up. I will clean this so clean it'll look like something completely different. All right, I'm just gonna dodge and burn on a couple of these discussion topics here. Um, we've got the Canon 5D Mark III. It's down to $2,300 on eBay right now yeah. for a brand new body. There has been a lot of discussion about the 1.3.3 firmware. Uh, a lot of people on the Magic Lantern forums have been discussing it. A few people, and I want to stress this, a few people have been reporting that they've seen this in the wild. I personally have seen a new camera body come in about two weeks ago. Uh, for somebody I was working with, it, it had 1.2.3, which is not the firmware that everybody's talking about that will block Magic Lantern from use and backing up your firmware to, you know, 1.13 or something like that. So before people start getting really excited about this, remember that they've only seen a few of those in the wild and it's not even up on Canon's website yet as something you can download. 
So it may have just been a fluke that that got into the wild, or it may be something that they're trying to do in the future. But for the next three or four months, I would say the vast majority of people are, are in the clear for even receiving that firmware because they have to clear out their stock and inventory before the new cameras start filling up the inventory in order to go out with the new firmware update like that. And that means that B&H, Amazon, whoever else, you know, generally they're sitting on uh, quite a bit of stock and it has to ship out and clear out their inventory before Canon can send them more stock. So even though they've seen this once or twice in the wild, I don't think it's going to be hitting the shelves if it does hit the shelves permanently in the next uh, couple months. So this may be the time to buy a 5D Mark III new if you want to, if you're worried about the Magic Lantern lockout. I, I you know, I really hope that that there isn't a Magic Lantern lockout. If I mean, talk about shooting yourself in the foot. I, I don't know why they would, why they would, <laughs> why they would lock out. Uh, you know, a, a product, I guess you could call it, it or the software that that um, does nothing but just helps sell their cameras for free. <laughs> Do you well, know what I mean? Yeah, Canon cameras, especially the 5D Mark III, has had a, a up and down history. Yeah. Um, before the raw release from Magic Lantern, the 5D Mark III's were dipping down around $2,000 even. And then as soon as the raw hack came out, they jumped almost all the way back up to retail, around three thousand yeah. dollars, and well, they've been holding steady like that for almost a year and a half now. And then yeah. now they've slowly creeped back down to where they're twenty two, twenty one hundred, twenty four hundred. Well, just watching, you know, watching the 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 used market. Geez, the the uh, Canon fifty Ds started getting sold for more money again because of the raw hack. Yeah, a lot of people were really <laughs> excited about that because the body was selling for three and four hundred dollars and then they yeah. could hack it and shoot 720p raw so yeah, it was it was crazy so that that's what i i mean if if anything canon should be giving the the guys or all the people at magic land and stipends well this might actually be a lockout so that people are forced to move to their cinema cameras the new rumor for the 5d mark three is actually that they'll release three separate bodies and they're going to go the route that sony is going right now where they have the resolution, which is the high megapixel one. They have the sensitivity, which is the low light one. And maybe they have a C version, which would be their cinema version, which would be tailored towards more, uh, maybe possibly 4K internally, or at least more cinema options that are available on, say, the uh, 1DC or something like that. And mm. Canon hasn't been really innovating a bunch, so yeah. it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that uh, the next generation of 5D Mark IV would be the next one, would have basically trickle-down features from the 1DC or the 1D4, or 1D4, yeah, so. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that, that, would be, that would be cool. Uh, I don't know. I, it just, that just seems, seems, seems like a, a little money-grabby to me, we, you know, where we're going to take a camera and kind of split it into three, well, I, I think the reason they want to do that, and I'm not, I'm not justifying or saying it's good or bad, mm -hmm. but what they might be thinking is that, and actually I am justifying it, so I am whatever. <laughs> but uh, what they might be thinking is like, okay, we're selling this one camera, and people really want resolution for photography or for you know stock footage or whatever. So that resolution camera will be their their stock photo camera. Then yeah. the cinema camera. We'll throw in some features that, 
you know, regular in the middle of photographers for like uh, newspapers and things like that. They don't really need. And those will be special features like uh, motion JPEG 4K or something lame like that. And then we'll have the middle camera where it's a lot more affordable, but it's missing out on both the features. It's not high megapixel. It's probably going to be like a 20 megapixel sensor. Same old, same old. And yeah. it'll have, you know, some really good uh, photo options, like some better ETTL control systems or something like that for flash. And, and then, bam, that'll be the, you know, the middle of the line photographer unit. And then they can sell them at different price marks. The cinema one. Right there with the word cinema in the title, they can probably super add like, expensive. Yeah, yeah, two grand to it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just like they did with the one DC, they yeah. can make the one DC. Well, I think what was it like twelve grand out of the gate, uh, and yeah. the one DX, which is arguably the same camera with yeah. like some different <laughs> firmware, and that one was uh, six thousand. So there was the jump right there. So if they have mm. a five DC then they could sell that one for maybe two grand over whatever the regular price is. The high resolution one, they'll sell that for a competition to medium format. And then the middle of the line one, that guy will be the like, Hey guys, we still care about you. Here's our bargain bin one. You know, yeah. it'll be like kind of falling in line with the upgrade for a 6d or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I guess that would be, that would be cool. Other than the, the price difference for the, for the cinema camera. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ugh. I don't. I. I Cannon. just. I, I. Yeah. I, I just. I. It makes me. Makes me feel a little ill. Yeah. I wish they would just. Well. Yeah. We I can wish whatever we want. Yeah. I, I. I understand it. It's a business. It's. It's everything. It's just. That's kind of why I. I. I like the. You know the the black magic uh, type cameras. I don't know how they are as a business or whatever, but I, I like that. I felt like they were fairly priced for what you got. Yeah. There was problems. Blah blah blah. They were. They were. They were new, but I mean, you know, I've, it, I've seen some of these films shot on like the the, the pocket, uh, the cinema pocket camera there. Yeah, and and they look fantastic. They're they're amazing. Um, and you know, looking I'm at, kind of a like dick. A I don't bucks. really like magic, or I mean, black magic that much. Um, no, mostly one of the things that they do, and it's it's awesome and it sucks at the same time. Black magic is really awesome about conceiving a product, kicking it out, and having it on the market right away. And so they come up with a good idea, they make it, and bam, it's ready to go. Mm. But ready to go is a relative term. Yeah. They <laughs> kick it out right away, and, like, you can have it in your hands. Great. Now I've got this camera. woo You know, but, yeah. okay, well, um, you know, a year later, we're going to offer some more firmware. A year after that, we're going to offer even more firmware. And, like, sure, yeah. we're slowly adding the features that we promised it would have all along. From and you're getting go, yeah. those, like, you know, two years in, three years in. And that's why the pocket camera, in my opinion, and why it's kind of fallen off in price and in in uh, sales and everything. And even the their 4K offering is kind of and 3K offering have, have kind of like you know dwindled a little bit. Dwindled yeah. is because yeah. people are really excited about it, and then they're like, "Well, wait a minute, uh, how do I power this? That's one. Okay, yeah. that's weird. Um, I got to use some kind of crazy uh, SSD, or I got to use you know special memory cards for this. Okay, that's another problem." Oh, wait, uh, where's the audio level meters? Oh, you don't get any of those. You don't even need any. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, like, guess. It'll be fine. Oh, yeah. okay, that sucks. Um, do I have control over, like, uh, focus? Formatting? On, yeah, formatting. formatting. Can I format the card in the camera? No, no, that that would be too much to ask. Like, uh, we'll get that in a future update. That'll be, like, a bonus feature, you know? Like, what about this black dot that I'm seeing in the sky? Uh, pretend like it's not there. It's not oh, there. Oh, okay. That uh, you don't even need IR filters. Those are stupid. 
They're just, <laughs> they're dumb. No reason to have them. Yeah, uh, that's true. And so that's yeah. my problem with uh, Black Magic stuff in general. And yeah. I've owned a few of their their computer uh, pieces, like their switchers and stuff. And it was the same way. Like they would issue a thing that on paper looked amazing. You're like, oh yeah, this looks great. And then you would get it and it was like, maybe their software team was kind of half baked, but their hardware team had everything completely nailed down. So there's all these things that it could do, but you're basically waiting on them to completely polish it up and get it working the way it should have from the get go. And I think that's why uh, some of their lower end products, especially have kind of not been as popular as they could have been is because they were missing a bunch of weird features and they had some strange issues. And there was all these little caveats that you didn't really even think about that just made them a hassle to use. Yeah. Well, and and that, that black dot issue, we joke, but that, that was serious. And and there's no fix for that. Am I correct? No, <laughs> like not that that's I know. still of. a problem, right? Yeah. And, you're, and that, that wasn't a, their low end camera. No, no. Yeah. And <laughs> that was like the cinema camera, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I, IR pollution, that should not be an issue. I'm I know, like a camera not, you spend that much money on. Yeah. Not, not on that, that level, which is too bad because honestly, the, the, the footage that you see come out of, uh, like those cameras, it, it is really amazing. Yeah. But that's the, like you said, that is the kind of stuff that, that scares people off. Although I, I would still, I would take my chances with a, uh, the, the, the pocket cinema camera for what I do. I, I like it. Well, and it is a, it is a very compelling form factor, but and it's been a couple of years. Yeah. Like it you has. Said. <laughs> now it's, now it's pretty cheap too. Yeah. And, and well, memory cards marks. have come like way down. Oh, it's way, yeah. it's lower than a thousand. I think it's like in the six or $700 range. Yeah, well, they keep putting it on. I, I keep seeing like B and H and and like on the sale. camera house. Yeah, they keep putting it on for like five hundred bucks. Yeah, but again, you're, the, what's happening is I, I know guys that are still waiting from ordering them uh, last uh, last spring. Oh, really? They're last still spring, on like summer. the pre order list. Well, they're they're just it, supposedly they made it past that, but they're still waiting to receive the unit. So I don't know what's going on with that. Weird. Yeah. I thought, they had, I thought they'd finally delivered everything, and I thought that was taken care of, like, middle of last year. I didn't realize they were still waiting on stuff. Well, yeah, I, w- I was talking to a guy in, I think, October, November, and he was still waiting. Whoa. And he was he was not happy at all, so yeah. I don't blame him. By that time, you might as well just go buy a camera and shoot, because yeah, if, you're, really. if you're sitting there waiting for the next thing to show up, I mean, you're missing out on all the work and projects you could have been doing during the time you didn't have a camera. Well, this guy has a billion different models and makes of cameras. He he could shoot, but he just really wanted that for because at, at five hundred bucks, he's like, "How could I say no?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's true." Yeah. Now, uh, one last thing on the um, on the discussions topics here. I'm gonna skip over. No one really cares about Toshiba's NFC release. That's kind of nah. yeah. If you want a memory card with NFC <laughs> in it, good job. Otherwise, most yep. cameras are offering Wi-Fi now, so iFi, yeah. <laughs> Wi-Fi, whatever. Um, <laughs> this thing is kind of cool here. It's the PowerShot N. That was that really awkward shaped camera that Canon released a couple years ago now, I think. Yeah. Uh, it was a square shape with like a strange sort of format flip out screen yeah, and you couldn't hold it. Yeah. You couldn't really hold it. And it was kind <laughs> of bizarre. Well, I'm looking at the show notes right here and you guys can see the show notes. They'll be up with this particular post, but um, the basic premise of this is that they added a box to the back, used a kind of a screen protector flip out deal and a sun hood, and then mounted it all into like a, a look down sort of, uh, medium format-esque looking camera style. 
It yeah, gives it this cool. really cool thing where you can just hang it around your chest and like look down into it, and then the lens points out forward. Yeah. yeah. What do yeah, you think? It's... I mean, for 130 bucks plus some you know wood and a few nails and things, uh, would you do this? Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's really cool. Um, the it's uh, what's I call the Roloflex. Roloflex. Yeah, Roloflex is kind of what they're going for with the style. It's cool. Yeah, I like I like this retro stuff. It's a fun little project, and uh, you know it it's. I like how it looks and, and the form factor is actually really neat. If you've ever actually used a camera like that, it's, it is pretty cool. It's not, it's not uncomfortable by any means, but uh, it, it is a little bit like he kept mentioning um, just how, uh, how easy it is to take pictures of people without them knowing it. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Cause it kind of like, makes that's... you look like you're looking down at your phone. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's cool. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if I would I would do it for that reason, but I, I just like I, I just think it's a fun little project and and uh, it'd be it'd be fun to try. Although, uh, what what is the, what are the images like on this the PowerShot end? Uh, it's pretty standard. Yeah. Um, I believe you can shoot raw on this as well as regular JPEG. Uh, oh really? Okay. Yeah, the quality it's it's right up there with any of just, Canon's um, yeah. their ninety series or their uh, their older G series like. I would say the quality you're going to get out of this is probably in equivalent to some of the uh, older G series cameras, like the G10 or G11. Um, yeah. It's not bad. It's yeah. not going to be like a super low light performer or anything like that. Oh. But it's only a hundred and thirty dollar point and shoot camera. So what do you expect? Yeah, and, and I mean, hey, maybe Canon, someone from Canon's listening and realizes that hey, they should take this camera and just build a different body around it, maybe out of wood since that's trendy. Yeah. And uh, and then they can sell this for like four hundred and thirty dollars. Man, this thing is pretty hipster, though. That's like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it it would it would kill. It would all the inner city hipster kids would uh, they would they would destroy this. It now, would, if you could add would a crank handle on the side that would advance oh. like to the next frame, or maybe allow oh. you to view pictures in a row or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You put you push in the crank handle, it clicks. You push it in, and that's instead of a touch screen, it's the crank handle. This could be the next digital bullocks. Genius. Quick, erase this from from the from the cast, and let's go. Uh, let's go get some patents. Let's get to work right now. Right now, yes. Crank handle. CNC. Turn on the 3D printer. Let's oh, do this. No, no, no. I'm, I'm out of this, man. <laughs> All right. Last thing on my list here is the pick of the week. What do you got? Um, I am actually uh, – I finally got around to um, getting um, some LED panels. Yeah, Ooh. I know I'm a little bit behind. Um, and I was searching around for something affordable and great, and I saw that on sale is the uh, the Aperture AL Amaran um, – what is it? L528s, the – you know what I'm talking about? Uh, are you sure it's not the 567 CNs? Uh, nope. Uh, nope. Five, five. Where's my box here? Sorry, I apparently I'm not as. Prepared oh, that's as okay. That um, but uh, it is the no, the 528, 528W. The 528W. Okay. Aperture Amaran 528W. Yeah, Aperture um, makes some pretty decent stuff. So yeah, yeah, but it was on sale for 150 bucks flat. Oh, not bad. Uh, and uh, yeah, the AL 528W. Okay, okay. Um, and yeah, these things are fantastic. And the main thing was, I mean, obviously the, the light's good. There was some flickering. I know about a year and a half ago, or, or when they first came out, and that has been corrected. Supposedly, I haven't seen any problems with that online. Yeah, it's like, the drive system they used to use. Um, okay. The old system was called. Pulse width modulation. 
And oh, what right. they did was sent a bunch of like electrical pulses to the LEDs to f- strobe them. Mm-hmm. And by strobing them, the, they were on for a, lo- a lower amount of time. And that was what reduced the, the light. And then oh, now okay. what they're doing is they're actually reducing the overall power to all of the LEDs. So the LEDs are still constantly powered. They're just dimming them um, and using more current. So it's less efficient for your batteries, yeah. but it's a better looking light and it reduces the amount of flicker that you're getting out of the older yeah. units. Yeah, because like the older units at, at full, and like 100% and at 10%, they weren't flickering. It was just everywhere in between. So um, so this, this, I haven't seen any of that. Love the fact that I can put the old Sony style batteries in the back, um, and, uh, keep the light on. And if I, if the batteries die, I plug it in. And even though the lights on the batteries are still recharging, yeah. love that. And, uh, and just the, the, you know, the, the battery, the green battery indicator on the back. And then also the, uh, that's just easy to see across the, across the studio because I do a lot of studio work. And then, um, the, uh, being having like three of them, uh, having the, the, the numbers on the back for the, for the dimmer is great so that I know it's just a great set about the same. Yeah. It's a great visual cue to, to be able to, to match lights up and and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed, especially for 150 bucks. That's fantastic. Nice. Did you say these charge your, charge your batteries as well? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that that was the like the the last sticking point for me because I was looking at a bunch of different ones and this seemed to be the only one that was doing that. Um, like even when the light's on, if I plug it in and leave it on, even as just like a room light, if I'm not even using it to shoot, um, it's actually charging those those Sony uh, NP or whatever style batteries on the on the back. Now the only thing is. Uh, the only kind of con to that is you do have to have both batteries in to use the batteries. It doesn't just run off one. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. It says it's a 18 volt system, so you probably have to double up on the batteries to power it. Yeah, yeah. It has to have both in and connected. But whatever, those batteries are super cheap. You know, like 11 or you know 10 to 20 bucks a piece. If yeah, they've come way such. down. I use those for my torch LED bolts, and they're the same yeah. NP batteries. Um, yeah. I they're a little clunky i have the 600 milliamp hour units or 650 <laughs> so they're they're pretty Huge. heavy yeah <laughs> yeah and imagine i imagine two of the batteries on this is probably the majority of the weight for the led panel itself big time yeah the the, the light is uh feather weight like it's super light and about the size of an ipad i mean it's not it doesn't feel cheap by any means and it doesn't run cheaply it's just it's just really light because there's not a lot to it but the batteries do help leds don't weigh very much and the those units are usually made out of plastic with a like a metal reflector that doesn't weigh very much either so it's not as though they're super heavy um yeah so that's what i'm using yay for aperture i like them yeah, Aperture, I've I've got a lot of their kit around. They make some good stuff. A lot of their older um, camera controller units, the remote yeah, units yeah. and stuff, those are pretty nice. Uh, they, you know, they worked at least as good or better than some of the way more expensive machined out of aluminum versions that were available. And Aperture yeah. did a pretty good job about uh, making, you know, leather cases and stuff like that for them, so... Yeah. Well, yeah. And this light, I, I can't, I couldn't believe like people talk about uh, all the time, the case that comes with the light, Yeah. but I was blown away by actually how nice it actually was for that price. Like I paid twice as much for stuff and not gotten anything to put it in. Yeah. So. <laughs> Aperture's focus controller. Uh, it came in like this really nice leather case with a, you know, velvet on the inside and it like snapped together <laughs> with magnets and stuff like that. Yeah. And they did a fine job on it. And 
the unit itself, I, I think the case almost felt like it was nicer than the, you know, it was like made out of better quality material than the yeah, thing. Yeah, it seems like that. It seems like that. I, I, I know that they just came out with their new uh, high CRI lights, um, which are, you know, a uh, hundred or $200 more or whatever. But, uh, um, and I'd be interested to, to see those as well. I played with, I played with them in, in the actual shop where I got this from. Oh, nice. And, uh, and it, it seemed like, I mean, they seemed great, but I didn't have a chance to actually shoot anything on the lights. I was just kind of testing them and, and getting light readings and st- stuff like that. But, uh, it seemed kind of the same. So I don't know. I don't know if, uh, that's why I was happy that these were on sale, but supposedly, uh, they told me at the store in here in Canada, anyway, the, that these, uh, the AL 528s are, um, the old versions are discontinued now. And that's yeah. why they went on sale. So that's unfortunate, but have to buy them up well check on ebay too there's probably a lot of stock from some of the uh chinese distributors that will sell them to you at a reasonable price or on sale so if you're looking that might be the place to go aperture i like their stuff i have a lot of their gear especially the well i keep going back to their controller i got their controller i've got that v7 or vs7 um oh yeah yeah, yeah. screen that was is that the the vs1 or the uh, three two it's the newer one (laughs) Uh, I thought it was the seven, but it might be the three. I think it's the three, actually. Yeah, because uh, they're all seven inch screens, right? Yeah, it's but a seven inch screen, but the VS one was like a seven twenty by four eighty. It was pretty, yeah, it was standard definition. The uh, VS three, I believe, is the unit I I use, and that's a seven inch, and it's it's an IPS display, and it's um, I believe it's uh, twelve eighty by eight hundred, so nice. it's a pretty decent resolution. Yeah. And, it came out right at the time when some of the monitors were pushing uh, 1920 by 1080, but they were using like a TN panel and they oh, looked kind of awful. Yeah. yeah. And so that was one of the best ones at the time. And now those are down in the two, I want to say two to $300 range. So they're still pretty affordable. They have multiple battery type supports. Uh, they also work with those MP batteries you're talking about from Sony. Yep. Uh, so there's a lot of options for them and they, they do not use a lot of juice. So, one of those honker uh, MP batteries you're using on your light panel is probably enough to power that guy for, you know, an entire day worth of shooting. Nice. Yeah, because I was, I was looking at, uh, you know how people, they, they, there's, I don't know where they're from, another Chinese company uh, are making the, the, it's like a rod-mounted um, accessory to go on the back of rigs or wherever yeah, you want. But, you're talking about that one that, like, basically takes the place of your screen on the camera and like goes on the back of it, right? Yeah, yeah, and it goes it, you, so you can power uh, two different things, like a camera, usually a Canon camera, and I think yeah. you have like a Canon mount, and then the, and then like a monitor or something. I was gonna, I was looking into that, but I don't even know if like with a battery grip on my cameras and and then uh, uh, using like the, the the big battery on my on my um, monitor, my LCD monitor. I don't even know if I'd get too much more out of it. Well, where those. Uh those packs come in handy is not only can you run um, off of NP batteries or NF batteries or whatever, you could also run, they make a version that runs off of Anton Bauer and VLOC, any of the VLOC batteries. And they make one that will run off of Canon and it's a two wire adapter and a plate with like four screws. So you buy the base plate and the base plate is a power converter. It has the barrel plug for uh, anything that's running off of between like nine to, to 18 volts 
It has a USB port that's designed to run whatever. It has another port that is designed specifically to go to a dummy battery for like your Canon cameras and yeah. stuff like that. And with all those different ports, those are the regulators, the power regulators for each of the individual things. And that's on the, the head unit. Then the sleeve where you can change out the batteries, that you can get in a V-Lock, you can get it in NP, you can get it in LPE6, you can get it in a number of flavors. As long as That's you can cool. get up to the voltage to run all of the converters, then it's just, just how much juice you have in your batteries as to how long it'll last. So that's where those get kind of sexy, especially yeah. if you're, you know, if you're trying to do something like a, a time lapse or something like that, and you want to just power the camera on a battery for a really long time. You know, you can put one of those ten thousand watt or ten thousand milliwatt hour um, yeah Anton Bowers yeah. <laughs> on there and like go for an entire evening and doing yeah. a time lapse of the city or something like that. So. That is a sexy option, and you've seen the big MP batteries. I mean, imagine if you're running off two. of two of those. Yeah, I know. It's really bulky, and it you know you may have an issue of them slipping loose or something, but as long as you get that sorted out, then it might be an option for running something for a really long time. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking too. Like you get those, those great big batteries like that of any sort, and it's also, you know, sometimes on a shoulder rig, uh, especially with this, these small cameras, and like, you know, uh, you you want that weight, right? On the like back, you, yeah, counterweight. Yeah. Well, it, even counterweight, any any weight for me, like just to just to bulk it up a little bit, because I, I find that the the uh, shoulder mounted um, shots just look so much closer to to what people are used to seeing yeah. um, from big budget movies. So uh, more weight, the better. Sometimes. No, uh, CPM camera rigs also makes the rig and this is completely off topic but That's their good. rig is um it's actually designed they call it a bulldog rig and it's designed to be held at your chest and at first when i first got one of those in and started playing around with it i thought that was kind of awkward but i started putting a monitor on the very top and looking down at the monitor and it kind of <laughs> ends up giving you the same perspective as what you were getting out of that uh that power shot end that I, we were just talking about earlier it, oh, really? You look down into it, and the camera's kind of at at chest level as opposed to, to shoulder level. Because a lot of times if you have it shoulder level, it almost feels uh, – the the image looks a little weird because it's almost above eye level. Right. The eye, depending on how tall you are as, you, as an operator. I'm 6'1", yeah, yeah. so it gets a little bit strange because I'm almost like looking down at people. Yeah. But when I had that bulldog rig at chest level, that seemed like more of a, a better – place to be shooting from not only because it's it looks better but also because it's near the core of your body so you yeah, had a, a lot easier time holding it steady yeah mate that it does make sense I, it, how comfortable is that to hold for long periods of time though? um if you tuck your elbows into your sides and That's kind good. of use your chest as a brace you can walk around with that for for quite a while without an issue your neck will get sore after a while because you're like you're kind of looking down at a monitor that you have on there all the time yeah. but you know, you're not going to be shooting in that particular position nonstop. You're going to get breaks as you move around and what have you. And then the nice thing, if you're going to do that sort of system, to get one of those uh, thumb controllers where you can start and stop recording from the right. from the handle as opposed to from the camera, you put one of yeah. those on the hand grip, and then you have two of them, and you kind of have it up to your chest. And I also done, when I start to get tired, is actually hooked um, a neck strap onto that and then hooked mm -hmm. it onto the rig. So you're holding with two hands, and then you're also using your neck as like that third sort yeah. of pivot point. And so yeah. it's keeping the camera in a good spot. The neck strap gives you even more support so you don't get as tired. And then you're also using both hands instead of just one hand. So you're not doing that thing where 
you know, a lot of times if you're shooting from that position, you want to like cradle the camera in one hand with your hand underneath of it and then have the other <laughs> hand kind of on the side. Yeah. And if you do that, it can wear out the arm that's underneath the camera really fast. But if you have both of them on hand grips, like side by side and right next to the camera, it you can really go a lot longer, especially with the, the neck strap system on there. Yeah, and I've I've never really taken a look at the CPM rigs, but they're pretty robust for the for the price. Yeah, they there's a lot of knockoffs too. Um, you know, well, I'm looking at I'm looking at B and H, uh, and I mean, you know, three four hundred bucks is pretty pretty complete rig. Yeah, uh, CPM makes some really good stuff. The only issue I've run into is that uh, um, they have a few. Well, actually, a lot of their Swiss plates on the tops and bottoms of the rigs. They only mm-hmm. come with one or two quarter twenties installed. And then they give you like this tool to insert the rest of them <laughs> and you can insert them wherever you want, but you have it's to annoying. insert them. So it's kind of yeah. like, that's a little bit of a rough deal. And then the other thing is, and they do, they're really good with warranty. If like you break any of them or whatever, you can turn them back in. But a lot of them, uh, in the early models, the space, the gaps where you tighten things down, um, yeah. they didn't have a spacer in there to hold them. So if you tighten them too tight, you could actually snap off one side of the, of the deal when you're tightening down the thumb screws. Uh-oh. So the newer models, what they do is they put a, like a washer in between those so that when you're tightening down any of the clamps or anything, you can't go any tighter than the washer and that prevents you from breaking them. But if Uh-oh. you ever take it all the way out and then lose the washer and then put it back in again, that's something you got to keep an eye on. Cause they are made out of, um, they're uh, injected mold carbon fiber. So oh, it's plastic mixed with carbon fiber material, uh, all in the same mold and it makes them really solid and robust, but it also makes them a little bit brittle and they only have so much uh, torsion strength on any given component. So if you over tighten one of those clamps or something like that, and there's nothing to protect it from, from um, over tightening, you can actually tweak and break off the other section and oh, yeah. theirs are pretty solid, but um, I believe it's uh film city or movie city or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a, a brand that makes a knockoff version of the CPM rigs and you can buy their entire rig. It's the $400 version of the CPM rig, but they sell it for like $80 (laughs) and theirs is made almost 100% out of plastic with no um, carbon fiber injection or any of that stuff. So with those, they're even more brittle and more prone to snapping off and breaking. So just be really careful if you're mixing those, if you're getting the cheap one and the expensive one, it's fine as long as you configure it and leave it alone. But if yeah, you're exactly. constantly like fiddling with things, tightening them, loosening them, taking them apart, and putting them back together again, uh, especially the Film City ones, you can really wear those out fast. So just keep that in mind if that's the way you're going. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know, honestly, I didn't even catch because I hadn't heard of these. I, I didn't even catch that they that it was plastic. It looked like metal, and then I was doing like I was zooming into the pictures. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that is uh, that is plastic. But um, yeah, they're injection they're- mold carbon fiber. Uh, that's what all the CPM units are made out of CPM. Also, uh, while we're on that boat and I guess I'll just make this my pick of the week so we can close up shop. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I I kept, I meant to like, you know, uh, 20 minutes ago, I meant to ask you what your, (laughs) what's yours. Um, What is your pick of the week, DJ? uh, I love, and I've only been able to rent these. I, I've never actually been able to own them, but uh, I love gearheads. I don't know if you've ever used one, but it's a, a three axis gearhead for your tripod. So instead of using a fluid head and I know people, you know, they love fluid heads and that's great. But mm-hmm. if you get really used to using a gear head, you can pan and tilt and swivel and not have any sort of jerk motion or, or whatever. It's so smooth. It takes a little bit of practicing. 
they say to you know draw figure eights for a couple of days to get good at it. But once yeah. you once you do, the handles are weighted evenly, so you can take one finger and spin them around back and forth and what have you. They sell really old uh, gearheads on eBay, and you can get them from various uh, old providers. And those will set you back about three, two to three thousand dollars, maybe all yeah. the way up to six thousand. The good brand new gearheads can be uh, outrageously expensive. But since we're on the CPM subject, one of the things that I've always wanted to buy in their product line, and I just haven't yet, is they have a really decent gearhead that is about two thousand dollars. Oh yeah, I see that twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah, and it comes with a good case. Um, it has really good gears that mesh together really well. And then it's got good bearings that rub up against a friction section so that mm-hmm. it doesn't have any slop in any of the gears or whatever. Because what you got to worry about with some of the new cheap ones, and there are a few that are made that are like sub $700. Yeah. Those, the gears don't mesh together very well. And the uh, roller bearings that, that keep the tension on everything are sloppy. So you'll be, you'll be uh, cranking the gearhead around and you'll get to a spot where it doesn't quite settle and then it settles and the camera will jump a little bit. And mm-hmm. that takes the whole point of even having a gearhead out of the yeah. equation. So, yeah, exactly. And some people, like the cheap ones, I've seen some modifications where people wrap them with some kind of tape or put some sort of uh, material on the bearing tracks so that they're a little more solid. And that is an option. Um, you can do that. But uh, I really would love to have my own. I've only ever been yeah. able to rent them because they're so expensive. And the nice metal gearheads... That's another issue is they're really heavy. Yeah. Um, they're, a lot of those were originally designed to move around you know, 30 and 40 pounds or, or yeah. more worth of camera gear. Yeah. So the head themselves is a good you know, 15 or 20 pounds. And then it's right. designed to sit on a, a set of sticks, one of those industrial ones that, you know, that weighs another 20 or 30 pounds and has its own roller, roller wheels and everything for moving. Yeah. And yeah. so you got to keep that in mind. That's why I love these new ones, especially the one from CPM is because it's light. Yeah, and that's all that's all carbon fiber too, isn't it? Yes, yes. Like and the whole box and everything. That's, that's how cool. they made it a made that one affordable is instead of machining all the gears out of metal, they molded them all out and then fined them up with a, a cleaning material. And so they fit together good. It's under three thousand dollars and they're really smooth for what you get. And once you get used to using a gearhead tripod, going back to a fluid head. I mean, fluid heads are good. I own a bunch of them, but that's because they're in my price range. If yeah. I had the money, I would go buy one of these. If I could justify a $2,000 or $3,000 gearhead, oh my gosh, that's what yeah, I would be I using. And I don't, I don't think a lot, of, a lot of people don't realize that, that gearheads are, I mean, that's where most of what you're seeing on TV and on, on films is a lot of, it, it is yeah. all gearheads. Yeah. And that's, and they, they try to emulate the movements that you get in close-ups and stuff like that when you see those little minute movements, but it's really hard if you if you don't have a gearhead. Well, and even the uh, even some of the newer ones have gear drive systems for like uh, motor gear drive systems for their gearheads, yeah. With uh, slowdown uh, sections and everything, so that oh, cool. it can actually go into a move and then slow down at the very end and come to a, a slow, steady stop as opposed to an abrupt stop. Yeah. And <laughs> if you ever if you ever get into a basic like newsroom where they're shooting multiple sets. A lot of times they'll have the uh, desk and then the weather guy, you know, just right off to the side. Mm-hmm. Well, the camera will be on a sixty or seventy thousand dollar motorized gearhead with a motorized dolly, and the camera between, uh, you know, you know, ad shots or whatever will just 
pan and drive from one side to the other to get to the guy. And then they'll use that motorized gearhead to like set up the shot ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And those are really um, sexy. Yeah, they are. And, and like you said, like I've had a chance to, to use on, on film sets, use uh, or play around. I, I wasn't actually operating the camera, but play around with, with these crazy, you know, probably 10 or $20,000, like precision, like watch precision, crazy, uh, gearheads. And it's, you know, it's, it's like, you know, your pinky on one little, little, <laughs> little yeah. gear and, and you can get so such fine movements. It's, it's crazy, but yeah. Uh, I would, I would, I, it's weird that you brought that up because I was, I was going to, uh, I was going to say that like, Oh, I wish I, it'd be cool to find an affordable um, geared head unit by anybody. But I mean, that is the closest I've seen. Yeah. I'm looking on eBay right now. And those ones I was kind of warning about that are a little bit sloppy. looks like they're um, $820. So mm-hmm. if you search gearhead on eBay, you can try those out, but I've read mixed things about them. And I believe those are almost a direct clone of the CPM units too. So and there are some, yeah, Film City, yeah. So all the regular like yeah. um, culprits of cloning gear are out there making these. Uh, the best way to get your hands on one of these, though, if you don't want to buy new and you want it to be somewhat affordable, is keep an eye out on the used section on eBay. <laughs> Occasionally, some of these, because people don't really know what they're looking for, will go up for buy it now prices of like four or five hundred dollars. Yeah, And the reason is, is because they're often won at like an estate auction or something like that. And no one really has an idea what they're valued at. And they come yeah. up so irregularly on eBay that they don't have anything to really compare it to. I'm looking right now on eBay and there's uh, Bogman, which is the old man Frodo label, uh, 3263 gearhead. And this is kind of the more rankety one that has like the flip out handles and isn't quite as you know nice as the big round handles and stuff. And this one's buy it now four hundred dollars, which isn't man. I'm hovering wow. over the buy it now right now. <laughs> careful, careful. No, no, he, no impulse buy. Yeah, he he's drunk on podcast talk. Oh man! All right. On that <laughs> note, uh, where can people find you, Johnny? Um, I'm at uh, JonathanAPictures.com, and uh, you can also find me under Jonathan A Pictures on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, the the usual places. Uh, you know. Message me, email me. I, I love talking to people. You know, normally we sneak in some extra stuff at the end of the cast, but this is a two-hour long cast. So you oh guys my gosh, it is. just got the extra stuff in the middle of the <laughs> stuff. So there you go. Yeah, sorry, guys. I hope I wasn't rambling there, but uh, I didn't realize it was two uh, hours. I think That's we were fantastic. both rambling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next week on DSLRFilmNoob.com, uh, we'll be covering some more GH4 lenses. I've also hopefully got the uh, Minolta lenses coming in. I'm heading to Pittsburgh for a shoot. I'll be back on Monday or Tuesday next week. So I might post some stuff from there, but I expect a thin post week. Uh, This will be the only podcast for the rest of the week. So enjoy that. And then there'll be more podcasts to come next Tuesday, I believe. So I'll keep you posted on that. And that concludes our broadcast day. (laughs) 